so I have that I have that meat and cheese tray out there, you know. Yeah, I know. It's... I was like, you know, maybe the boys will want to peck. Oh, I didn't know if it was it was open season on that uh, or not. Yeah, yeah. I didn't so, see that. I, yeah, yeah, I just got it like two days ago. It was up on the counter. I don't think you were tall enough. <laughs> <laughs> I flapped my wings. I got up there. <laughs> but I have driven by that fucking thing, dude, and I grab every single time. Every single time I walk by that fucking thing, I eat from it. I just, I'm a little fucking salami boy. Yeah, I know. I noticed you were sweaty. <laughs> it, yeah, my it smells in here. <laughs> when are we good? Huh? When are we good? We're, we're rolling. Oh, shit. Look, I'm, oh, look I, I saved this for the mic. Look, I'm taking my shoes off. We'll see what happens. <laughs> we are spaced out, so I think it'll be okay, but y'all just let me know. I don't, the socks would be okay. They've only been on for a couple of days, but the shoes themselves. As soon as you said we're rolling, he got so bashful. I did. Yeah. He, he blushed. He's so red right I now. I did. Yeah. Well, that's, it's a heart related thing, but <laughs> yeah, I am bashful. Yeah. So mine I, too. It's all the pepperoni. I've got a. No, that's a different thing. I wanted, I wanted to say You're this. die. For the, for the show, but, um, I was in the lunchroom upstairs at work this week and, uh, there's no one ever in there because the building's basically empty. Everyone works remotely. But I was in there getting my shit together, and uh, I can hear like around the corner, I call this slamming of the microwave doors. And, um, you know, you try to be cordial in there because in the hallways, it's just a free-for-all. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to even acknowledge anyone's existence. But in the lunchroom, it's like, hey, how you doing? And uh, I kind of peek around because I hear this person like going, where's the stuff? Where's the stuff? What is this? Where's the stuff? And I'm thinking she's talking about like napkins and plates and shit because they don't stock any of that stuff anymore since COVID. And I turn the corner and I'm like, are you okay? Are you looking for, for like paper towels or, or forks or what do you need? And she goes, no, I don't need that. Where's the stuff? And I'm like, what, what are you looking for? And she goes, there's none in the can. And she's got, basically she's got like a bowl from her house and she has a can of Manwich. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you looking for? And she's like, there ain't no meat in this. And I said, meat and what? What What are you talking about? Like, did someone take your meat? And she goes, no, I no, the meat. There ain't no meat in this. And I'm like, in the can? And she's like, yeah, it's just the sauce. I'm like, that's all. It, that's, that's all. It, it's manwich. It's the, there's not ground beef in there. It's just the sauce. You make the ground beef and you pour it in there. And she looks at me. <laughs> Like I'm, I just landed on fucking Earth. She's like, "No, baby, that's not the way this works." And I said, "That's a hundred percent the way Sloppy Joes work." But I'm, ta- I'm talking. She's like fifty-eight too. This I think is, they just had ground beef in a can. And that's what she thought. And she's so, younger than you. And, <laughs> there it is. There it fucking is. Lois hanging fruit, rotten on the ground. I'll but be here all she, day. She, she got to this point in her life. And I mean, clearly she likes sloppy joes because she's like, this will make a good meal. So she's shopping for herself and she sees that can of man, which she probably thought the bun was in there fucking too. But she thought, (laughs) I'm going to just go to work, open the can up and dump it in this bowl and I'll have a bunch of meat with sauce on it. That's what she thought. So I said like, no, there's, there's not ground beef in the can. That wouldn't work. And she goes, why wouldn't that work? And I said, because it's ground beef. You can't just put that in the can. I mean, I guess it could, but... I it, mean, isn't chili, like, essentially this? I mean, that's... I guess. I think it's more of, like, a processed-y kind of thing. But she was... She basically, in her defense, she said, like, what about canned meat? And I said... Right. That's what you want. You wanted basically just, like, a meat kind of substance covered in sauce. 
Right, like chicken in a can or something. But some she shit. was so disappointed. I even offered her some of my food. I said, I don't have much, but you can have some of this. And she said, nuh-uh. And she left. She stormed off in a hissy, and she threw not only the can of sauce in the trash can, which some got on the wall. She put her bowl in there. It was a glass bowl. She was she was done with the whole thing. She what, had planned her whole day around that. What yeah. what what bothers me, I guess, the most everything is, <laughs> is the story is, is that you're not even in there, right? You're not even in the break room, lunch area, or anything, right? You're outside of it. Right. She's the only one in there. Yeah. And it offended her so much yeah. that she exclaims just openly to any oh, she, would-be I, listening ears. I don't think she knew I was in there. There's nothing in here. I don't think she knew like I was around the corner. Right, that's what I mean. Oh, yeah. She was ready to have a full-on oh, yeah. conversation out loud yeah. with herself. This fucking piece of shit, yeah. man. Witch. Fuck you, man. Witch. <laughs> yeah, I want. You know what? Now, 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 I kind of want to know what would have been said if I hadn't come over and made my right. I almost, wi- I almost wish <laughs> you were just lurking outside of the doorway, just like she's gonna throw this fucking manwich at the wall. Oh yeah, <laughs> Sir Reginald Manwich is rolling over in his fucking grave if I hadn't turned that corner. <laughs> you, you turned the corner to defend Manwich. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, ma'am, uh, I knew Sir Reginald Manwich, and he was a good man, and beef in that can was never part of the plan. And that I'm was, not going to let yeah. you besmirch his fucking name. Yeah, processed meat and that delicious sauce did not build his empire. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my kingdom for some ground beef. <laughs> I love like you go like you've already made the decision to eat manwich, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, like strike one and two <laughs> yeah, like, that, that in was, the microwave too. Yeah, that was the fucking that was the tipping point. You know what though? Whenever you see those fucking microwaves at work, any workplace, and you open it up and you say, "What happened here? Oh, what just uncovered? Here? Just throw it away." Yeah. Someone heating up an entire bowl uncovered of manwich sauce. That's what happened. Without ground beef. She's the problem. You know what? She doesn't deserve ground beef. She should have drank it cold. <laughs> just got a spoon or like one, a spoon with holes in it. Just Mike, to scoop it Mike walks up to her and just grabs her by the neck, takes the can. You get what you fucking deserve. Yeah. But he, just fucking yeah. he, just, he drowns her in it. You play, you pay. You just pour it all over her fat head. Yeah. yeah. All right. I guess Give her a swirly and man witch. <laughs> That's my story. <laughs> this very quickly turned into bullying. Yeah, this is upsetting. Yeah. I don't think we can put this out now. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Welcome to 90s Roulette, the podcast where we spin the wheel to find out what movie, TV show, and music video is covered from the only decade worth talking about. Does everything still glitter as gold through rose-tinted glasses, or not? Not. I am Michael, and with me is... Garrett. And I'm Dalton. And I'm Michael, and we're talking about Blade today. (laughs) What Uh, else are we talking about? (laughs) We'll be talking about The Real Adventures of Johnny Quest and the video for Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah, so for, for everyone's uh, info, the way we selected all of these is we have a long list. Uh, each of these 
categories for movies, TV shows, music videos, and we just randomly uh, spin a uh, wheel, number generator, whatever, to select these for us. And this is what we landed on this week. Whatever we get, we have to stick with it. We get one re-roll, but we can only use it once, and we can't go back if it's something worse. Um but we got good shit this week. We did get good shit we this week. We got good shit. So, yeah, we've actually recorded 25 episodes before this, but every one of those topics was fucking god-awful. Uh, <laughs> so, this is the first one. Yeah, they all had Keanu Reeves in them, and we were like, we can't. We can't lead with this. The 90s was a despicable decade. All right, I'm leaving if you besmirch his name one more I'm fucking sorry. time. Yeah, he, he got better. <laughs> Fuck you, Mike. Oh. All right, we're talking about Blade. Blade. Worse things out tonight than vampires. Like what? Like me. Half human. Blade's mother was attacked by a vampire while she was pregnant. Half immortal. You got the best of both worlds. All our strengths. None of our weaknesses. He is their greatest fear. And our only hope. Something seasonal. Vampires. Blade. We're talking about Blade, and yeah. I, I, I have something that I want to get out of the way immediately. And okay. I, I think it's a fine point, and I want to be the first one to say it for okay. sure. Right? That yeah. song fucking still slaps both butt cheeks so hard with both, <laughs> like not even like a off, like a glance off the ass, but Kicks like ass. it fucking palm Pumps. plants. Pumps Pumps your but, heart. You know, that's 25 years old now, and from 1998 to 25 years prior, would have been 73, that's fucking Carly Simon, You're So Vain. That's the time difference between that and now, basically, for that song, and it's still a fucking banger. It's a wonderful song. Um, Blade was released in 1998, uh, starring Wesley Snipes and Stephen Dorff and Chris Christopherson. Uh, it was released by New Line, and uh, it was technically, I guess, the first like major Marvel movie before the X Men and Kevin Feige. And it uh, after. arguably kicked off the popularity of superhero movies. This was before X Men uh, and Spider Man and all that. Yeah. How um, much? How much did this bring in? How much? Was uh, it? it was a Jesus, success. A lot. It was uh, a big success. I've got that here, Hang especially on. for an R rated superhero movie. One hundred thirty one million worldwide. Um, it, it and it's it's. I mean, it's all but an independent movie, basically. I mean, this this did have studio backing and all that, but I mean, largely this is practical effects. Um, and I mean, none of the stars were getting that much money aside from probably Wesley Snipes, who's people kind of actually exploded. <laughs> yeah, 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 man. There were some really committed people on this, but I mean, th this is a year uh, after the death of DC, uh, for all intents and purposes. I mean, this is after Batman and Robin in '97, so yeah, that uh, was basically done. And Marvel's like, let's give it a shot, and yeah. um, they they did a hell of a job. Uh, I mean, it it really really sets a tone, a very interesting tone that's not really followed up on that well with Marvel. But this is a weird little like lightning in a bottle experiment from Marvel. I you know what? It also comes at a time where, like, through the 90s, there's a lot of... There's a lot of movies like this, though they're not exactly superhero movies. Sure. There's a lot of movies where, like, they're dark. They're, uh, they've got, like, a wooden lead, lead actor with, with uh, superhuman abilities that's in a trench coat or sunglasses or something. Yeah, anti-hero. Yeah. This is a year before... The, the Matrix. Matrix. Yeah. Um, you could also akin it to like The Crow or something. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, I, I mean, I'm sure I know there are a few more in the 90s that had this kind of setup. It's like, 
I don't know, kind of a thing back then. It was, yeah, yeah, sort of like dark brooding, um, yeah, dark stoic brooding, edginess. Yeah, um, very s- style over substance in terms of like the actual character. Yeah, but and, it, dialogue. It works. And, and dialogue. And I mean, yeah. speaking of like Matrix coming out the year after this, is there is also like a bullet time effect in this movie. There is, yeah, this uh, predates it. it it's too. not, it's not like the whole camera going around no. that uh, right. they. But the idea is there. Yeah, yeah, but like it does have the slow motion bullet thing. With bullet trail and all. Yeah, this is pretty... I mean, all around, it's pretty fucking innovative. The whole thing is... Um, but we'll, we're going to take it kind of scene by scene here. At least all the, the big stuff. Yeah, but, but why, don't we, why don't we run through, like, the... Yeah, just do the plot, and then we'll kind of, well, like... The, the opening scene, I mean, is worth talking about regardless of anything else in the movie because it sets the bar so high... Uh, basically, uh, we we have a. a oh, you're talking about the hospital scene. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the, the the blood rave, of course. But we we basically have like a, a surrogate, um, like audience member. But basically, we have a guy that's with a vampire lady. Generic '90s man. Ex. Basically, yeah. yeah but yes. he he is sort of like our ticket into the world of the vampires, and he ends up at a rave. He's with, going. He thinks he's going to get some. Yeah, he, and yeah. he ends up like in this really fucking stylish rave. Uh, that's like the underground Which that of a butcher is shop. One of the things that really implants this in the '90s because raves were like such a big. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just a trance ecstasy trip downstairs yeah. in that place. Yeah. yeah, and like all that fucking late it's '90s like people like trance that would music. go to raves wouldn't really att- intend to go there that night. So they'd like end up with some friends that would be going to like some underground uh, yeah, this overpass dude and then there's a message that's like meet at this warehouse in the right. desert and then they're partying for like three days straight which which real quick just before we get into like this scene specifically and everything i do want to say that like yeah the hospital stuff and like all the intro and everything like yeah whatever but what i do appreciate about blade especially with relation to it being like a superhero movie is how fucking short that is we get up to speed to the good part oh immediately all yeah. like yeah. instantly there's no uncle ben like 45 minutes in and now we see him like i'm gonna get back at the vampire no so, like there's, there's none there's of that shit zero, we just zero hit the that. there's no origin it's it, it completely really. lacks any exposition i mean it's almost dialogue less in the beginning too the, i mean the guy gets there and things start escalating pretty quickly like everyone's being like outwardly hostile to this guy and I mean, the music is building and the tension's building and his frustration's building. And blood, blood is spraying. Well, yeah, the blood starts, the blood rave begins. And what's crazy with this is, is, and I thought about this as I was watching it last night, actually, for the first time. This visually like shows the entire like pecking order of the way that the humans work, the vampires work, and Blade works. Because you've got a guy that is in the midst of all this shit. He's brought like a present gift wrap for these other vampires. They are basically dancing in their food. They don't need him. So they start beating the fuck out of this guy. This is like food they're playing with at this point. This is like a a cat that doesn't want to kill a mouse too quick. They don't need him for sustenance. And they are reveling in this shit. And all of a sudden, things change a little bit and everyone goes quiet because blade comes in and you realize like this this is the 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 food order basically this is the way like the the pecking order you've got this guy at the lowest you've got the vampires in the middle somewhere and then you've got blade up top and they they get quiet really really quick there's a hush in the room 
and everyone's everyone knows who this guy is. This guy is mythical. And let me also say this is also as important as my first point in the beginning. I'm fucking Blade. That's me. That's who I am. I'm I'm not I'm not Whistler. Don't even try to make that joke. Um, <laughs> you're you're Karen because uh-huh. uh, she's a she's a, a hematologist. And you do something with science. I don't know what you do uh-huh. exactly, but yeah. you always need a saving from me. You so sure you're Karen, and you are um, go on. You're Pearl. The 600, <laughs> you're, you're the 600 pound Japanese vampire um, that gets burned to a crisp because I I told you uh, my resolution this year was to give you either full on dysmorphia or an eating disorder, even though you're 120 pounds. <laughs> So you're Pearl, and I'm I'm Blade. I'm the one. You're who's, Blade. I'm yeah. the one who's Blade. You're the one who oh, has yeah. the dumbest sunglasses I am, possible. Yeah. All right. Well, um, well, well I mean, so Blade, yeah. uh, I do. Before we go any further, yeah, go ahead. Since Blade has shown up, I just you can make fun of me for pointing this out if you want, but I, I do want to point out the dumbest fucking way to sheath the sword I have ever seen. It's like right down the center of his, of his ba- spine, center of his spine, Dude. underneath his coat. You can't fucking pull that I'm, out I'm in a fight. Blade can. <laughs> yeah, Blade they can. never even yeah. show it. They you, never show him. You, he you can't even stand up. What do you know about mobility? <laughs> He gets he gets a new trench coat every time he draws that sword yeah. because he's just shredding that. I want a shot of him pulling it out and it just gets stuck in it and it's like a sword poking through his trench coat. Oh, it's like, well, well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I, I, somebody's always trying to ice skate up a, a hill. Every every time that we're every time that we're like at a point where you think that maybe he spun the sword unnecessarily to she that let's yeah. call that out because I can I can think of probably four or five throughout. Like the movie, I can think of the entirety of the climax of Act Three. I mean, that's, uh, that's okay. We'll, 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 we'll get, get there. We'll get we'll there. there. Yeah. So, yeah. so Blood Rave, uh, <laughs> Blade, Blade starts really fucking some people up here, and, and it's sweet. As it fuck. rules. Yeah. And I mean, not only that, but like you're also seeing that when he's stabbing certain people and shooting certain people, they are disintegrating. It looks like something from Mars attacks, but it, it still holds up pretty well. He's beating the fuck out of people, and I mean, it is a full-on massacre. And they do the the kung fu, like, okay, now you go in, and you yes. go in, and yes. you go in. But yeah. but every he's saving his bullets for every time someone comes in with a gun, he's dropping them with bullets because he knows, you know, I might be limited here. So he is he's sort of like reading the room spatially, and he knows like when to use what. But it's cool because you're also seeing certain people drop that aren't disappearing. Right. So it's also establishing like some of these people are probably just people because they mm-hmm. get into the whole familiar thing also. But you're seeing basically this giant pecking order in this world and they don't have to explain it. They don't have to go into it. There's not, yeah, like you said, there's not like a 20 minute expository setup. It goes right into a brutal, mm. bloody, I mean, just amazing opening scene. Yeah. And the main, uh, the main fight between them is uh, with Donald Logue's character. Yeah, Donald Logue. That's where they introduce him. Fucking and you think for he's going to be man. done in that scene. Yeah. But he goes till the end. See, that is that is like... <clears throat> so, like, as much as I love the Blood Rave scene and just how much Blade is an absolute badass, it's when we start, like, getting into, like, the logistics of, like, how he is operating to where it's just like, well, why the fuck would he do any of that? And this is the point at which it starts to, like, make me critical of the movie which is like overly critical like don't mean to be i just can't help but fucking notice it like he's got the guy pinned into the wall with the stakes and everything and like why doesn't he just finish him right there he was just whipping ass killing people in half seconds he wants to track him back to deacon frost Uh, sure but he could have done that 
a myriad of other ways, right? Like, did he need to follow the guy back to the hospital to try and take him out again? Like, why not just, like, tail him or whatever? Why does he care to, like, jump down in front of him and be like, boo, well, it's me again, the well, boogeyman? Well, I don't, th- I don't like, think his plan was for him to go to the hospital because the cops show up and that's what makes him leave. Yeah, but he knows the cops showed up and everything. You know well, he I mean? knows the cops showed up, but I don't think he knew they were going to that quickly. I mean, I think the idea would have been is to probably well, l- make an exit and then follow him right so but but what makes the most sense to me like because later on we see him like staking out cop cars following people doing that whole bit like more investigative stuff yeah like if batman was cool he's doing that whole bit but early on he like just breezes up like you know what i mean it just seems like weird for him to like be gone and then he comes back and then he's gone again and then he comes yeah, back. I guess so. Yeah. Don't, the only thing I really don't like in that scene is he does some really, really incredible shit in that opening. But when he shoots the second stake, he does the fist pump. He does the Dude, this move. there's some cringy <laughs> what, what's, like, dialogue what's crazy lines. crazy is it's like... This movie is filled with some kind of cheesy... I would say that... Like I would that. say that... It's Snipe, very campy. Well, Snipes yeah. is a producer on it, and I'm thinking that a lot of those choices were maybe Snipes. Because yes. I, w- I would say that Snipes is probably as good as he is bad in certain aspects of the movie. But I mean, what's crazy, he just did some amazing feats, and he literally like jump roundhouse kicks a syringe into a guy's forehead layer... And he's congratulating himself to no one but himself for shooting a stake across a room and to a guy's shoulder, like it's a fucking Nerf gun ad. Like he does, a, he does, he does a fist pump like like Kevin McAllister dropping a paint can on someone's head. And it's like, dude, that was the least impressive thing right. you just did, man. You like, just did a swath of just cool ass martial arts and like yeah. gun slinging mm-hmm. uh, you, you threw like, a fucking xena thing and like <laughs> lopped three heads off and caught it and he does smile he's pretty happy about that but he does a, it it takes a moment to do a yes fist pump thing and it's like Ooh, it's that's, just like that's weird that's a yeah, weird because yeah. like he he honestly like he could do nothing he could have no emotional nothing. reaction yes, to wouldn't. any of the stuff that he's doing at all right. and it would be cool as i, I think it would so make too. a lot more sense. less is more in that in that exactly yeah, yeah, exactly absolutely. the less he talked the more i liked Blake. correct yeah, the less he, he shows something that's just kind of like monolithic just you know cool cool guy and, and, right he does anytime he really talks or tries to do anything like some yeah. motherfuckers just want to ice yeah, skate uphill like, yeah man and that, and that is a snipes thing that's like a snipes a, thing and i mean snipes let's let's kind of talk about him for a second here because in the 90s snipes is snipes is, is up there with probably bruce willis not he's not on like the ABCD spectrum of like Arnold A and B would be Stallone and C would be Van Damme and D is Seagal. Snipes is there with Willis and that like no they're doing all kinds of genres. Mm-hmm. It's they are not confined to action. I mean Snipes is in like Waiting to Exhale and he's really fucking solid. And he's literally in the drag queen movie. He is. He's into Wong Fu and ninety five. I mean he's all over the place now. He is doing like Passion Fifty Seven and you know Always Bet on Black. He's got some some really cringy lines in that. He's making good stuff, though. I mean, he's in, he's in New Jack City and, I mean, King of New York in the early 90s. This guy is capable of doing more than action. But 
He kicks ass when he, he does. He kicks action, ass though. because yeah. this guy's legit. This he's is very not some physical. guy. He's very, he's a legit he's martial a, artist. I mean, you can uh, you I'd probably compare more to Keanu Reeves. He's much better at physical. He's acting. a better physical actor than he is a normal actor. Yeah. But Snipes does have depending on what role. Yeah, really. he, some of them he's like you know most recently Dolomite. He was great in that. He's great in that. He's good in Brooklyn's Finest in 2007. The yeah. Antoine Fuqua. I mean, he's For able sure. to do this stuff, and he is good early in his career. In the it's early just 90s. those moments in Blade. Where like the dialogue gets very campy sure. and it's very and and of course like you know going back and looking at something that was developed in the nineties and everything and like you see the villain with the fucking like messy hair and it's, got the it's like some of the time twenty two year old dude who looks like an absolute tool it's just like God, but this but sucks. Snipes is as perfect in casting with this as something like Hugh Jackman as Wolverine or oh, even yeah. Tom Holland no, 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 Spider Man no. he is. Excellent. Yeah. I absolutely love him as Blade. He shows up. It's like, that's a bad moment. That's Blade. Yeah. That's a bad... Dude, when he gets his sunglasses back, that is fucking uh, we'll, we'll awesome. Get there. We're, yeah, so we'll get there. so let's let's kind of like I think we've spent like fifteen That's minutes okay. talking right. about how look, sweet the fucking yeah, blood rave is. <laughs> look, hospital scene. Uh, they establish Karen, the hematologist, and Curtis, the uh, the other doctor, and um, <clears throat> Donald Logue pops up. He's burnt to a crisp. He pops up. He bites them both, and Blade comes to the rescue. Cops storm kills in. One of them. Yeah, he kills, kills, kills Curtis. And she's all fucked up, but she reminds Blade of his mother, who basically died in childbirth to him, and she was bitten by a vampire. So he gets Karen out of there. He throws her across a rooftop and jumps <laughs> off himself. And basically never getting just, shot by the most inept no. firing squad I've ever seen shooting well, at a civilian. Cops, yeah, there's got stormtrooper shooting. <laughs> oh, it's it's Man. yeah, it's pretty rough. But he gets her out of there. He gets her back to his hideout. Where we meet Whistler, played by Chris Christopherson. Um, I, I liked him in this movie. Chris Christopherson is phenomenal in this movie, and uh, w- the reason I think that he works is not so much just the casting, because Christopherson just embodies that shit. He he, he yeah. is like he is like burlier, meaner Sam Elliott of the late nineties. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. but what works is is the dynamic. He's not just his Alfred. Because that parallel was pr- pretty obvious. I mean, he, oh yeah, he pulls up in yeah. the black muscle car, gets right. out, very much like a bad you know, guy sitting out. In you the... know what this dynamic feels like? Remember that uh, pitch that Darren Aronofsky had for Batman? Where, yeah, like, where he's Batman, the homeless guy. Yeah, Batman's yeah. like a homeless guy who and him and Alfred like in a mechanic shop. Mm-hmm. This is what that feels like, and it feels well, sweet. Not yes. o- not only is there it's like a, cool a surrogate father feel and all that to it, just like Alfred and Bruce Wayne, but the reason I think it really works is. You have that, which is already like inherently a good dynamic, but you also have fucking Q with Bond because everything that Whistler brings out, every tool that he makes. That's some cool shit. It's some really cool shit. It's going to get used. It's it's like Chekhov's Whistler. I mean, any, any, if you see it, if you see it there on the table or he gives him something, it's going to get used at some point, just like a Bond movie. So basically Whistler is chain smoking, mean as shit, Q Alfred. And it fucking works because yeah. he's the one who does all the expository stuff. If Blade had to do it, uh, I don't know if that it delivery would, would work. I, I, right. I, I, I love that he is the conduit through which we explain to Karen the situation. Yeah, Karen's a the reason why they yeah. do everything. You learn about Blade. You learn about... You know how this whole vampirism, and it's works. not the, the him chain, sitting yeah. there like brooding, talking about my life is so traumatized. No, it's like it's very no. We fact. just have like him. Blade's not gonna say shit, but Chris uh, or like Whistler's gonna 
you know, right, right. I do. Like, I do also love. It's more that, of a warning when he tells her too. Right, right. When when she wakes up and like we get this little peek at his living space. You know, you yes, got the meditation the, altar. It's and got then, like the book, staircase bookshelf. It's thing. got bookshelves. It's got chests. Like, and then the you pan over and he's got a wall of just guns, guns yeah. and that sword. The sword with the with, anti yeah, like yeah, with has the, the anti theft device that basically <laughs> comes out and splits your hand in three places. Which they, they do use that they, pretty absolutely. well. Right. Yeah, oh, they, they, they show it and you just go, oh, it's it's coming up somewhere here yeah. and God does it ever. Yeah, there's a lot of good Chekhov's guns in this. There, There is, yeah. Everything they show you, they're going to use it. Um, and then there's the plant, which we'll go into later. Uh, I never knew what the fuck this plant was he has and it keeps focusing on the plant in his living space. You know, like the little... It's not a flower. It's like a weird little plant. The one that yeah, he it's cuts the one the he end. picks up and cuts the right. Roots off. And we'll go into that mm-hmm. at the end there. But basically, that's it. He he's he's just all war. I mean, he's basically a warrior. Um, yeah, and he, ever, like he's been uh, since he was a kid. That's just what he's been. Yeah, doing. and I think we can. Do, I don't know much about Blade the character, but I think we can deduce that basically it's just like a Batman thing to where I'm sure he went overseas and studied Bushido or something like that. It was he uh, to, like to, from from the original comics, like he. After he was kind of dumped as a baby, and then from like age one to nine, he became an expert in knives and raised on the streets, and like was mugged by some homeless or saw uh, someone who's not Whistler but is Whistler adjacent, an old vampire hunter being gotcha. mu- fighting some homeless people who turned out to be vampires, and then he was raised Which by that guy. Is, is worth noting Abraham Whistler, like Abraham Ben Helsing. Yes, yeah, it's supposed to be yeah. like a, a vampire hunter. But anyways, we, we meet uh, Whistler, and uh, Karen gets kind of the lowdown on, on the way this all works. We get to see their hideout, yeah. and et cetera. And uh, we find out they move from spot to spot, and they, they basically, vampires are like, um, they sort of migrate Secret around. Secret society. Yeah. Illuminati-esque thing, and they've got a lot of people working for them, a lot of hands and a lot of pockets. Very much. We get into the familiar, and he uses Karen as bait, and... Yeah, we get to the apartment, but the main thing is we we basically see the aftermath of the nightclub with Deacon Frost and like the higher ups, like the actual pure blood vampires who are so, the weakest fucking spine to people. They, they are a hierarchy. In the entire movie, there's yeah. a hierarchy of vampires, and because Deacon was bitten and not born a vampire, then basically he's being frowned upon by these elders. But he's very flippant about it. He doesn't really give a shit, um, and because he listens to his CD player. In his room and also runs well, an automated program. You, you He's can, a bad boy. You can call it whatever you want, but I think Stephen Dorff completely fucking understands that character. I really like Stephen Dorff. He is. This. He what, is. A, where, he's doing his work very, where Wesley very well. Snipes, I thought always thought was like wooden. Whenever he he's starts speaking, Stephen yeah. Dorff is kills just it. Like, yeah, he kills it. He he's, completely kills. He feels it. very See, natural I, on that. I really fucking didn't like him. I really didn't like him. It's because like, he, he does look like I, a tool. Yeah, he looks like an absolute tool. Up. And maybe it's because like he successfully pulls off the I'm a piece of shit, my dad has a yacht feel yeah. so much to me. But like, man, I, I the have, dialogue... I have something I want to say about that. The style, I think, serves a purpose for what he's doing because the guy is not physically a match for Blade. Right. No. And he doesn't look like the other elders intentionally. What it reminds me of a lot is the Tim Burton original Batman with the Jack Napier Joker role to where we think kind of, you know, he's just kind of a lower minion type guy. He's a henchman. And it turns out, no, 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 no. This guy 
that's only a, an appearance, this guy is actually a genius. Because I think they go into Jack Napier, the Joker character, and the Batman says, this guy has got a like doctorate in art history and chemistry. This is not just some guy that is yeah, good at playing cards. The more they show Deacon Frost, and what, like he's studying these. He's a depot dad. Yeah, he's, completely. he's devoted to this stuff. He's studying all this stuff, these uh, hieroglyphs and shit. Right. And then he's like always one step ahead of Blade and everyone else. He, but it kind of he just, understands everything. But it uh, it's almost like that those elements, like yeah, those are cool. But it's like such a stark contrast between like when you see him in the other parts. Of the movie, Correct. where like I think the where like he's is why it like he's throwing me. raves and like intentionally he goes to his because party he, and he like, like the like Joker. A yeah. If you approximate yourself to other people and you have a cult of personality, you you are the uber cool. But really, you've got a lot more going on under the surface. He, just, he's I, attracting all the help he needs where he never needs to get his hands dirty. He's almost like Manson in that sense of. He doesn't really have to kill anyone. He kills very few except, people in the movie. Except when he ha- the the way you apparently take over vampire high society is you just put on sunblock we'll and kill one guy. We'll get to it. Stop skipping dude. around. Okay. We'll get to it. So basically, this guy, this guy on surface level is just a a dude from a 1998 shitty like emo video. But really, he's got a lot more cooking. He is studying um, vampire lore the, and history. The ancient vampire uh, Bible. And, and what I think, and what I think is, or whatever. It, what's interesting about this movie is, and you learn a lot of this through Karen, the hematologist, is basically she is deducing the whole vampirism thing down to, it's it's a blood disease. It's a virus. It, it's like an STD. I mean, I think they even say that you're just an yeah. STD. But really, they're they're also contrasting that with a mysticism about it because there's this whole blood god, this Lamagra thing. Right. And it's like, no, there's a lot more to it than it just being a fucking blood disease. I mean, there's literal like magic to this. So it's this really weird stark contrast thing. And I think what they're trying to do is Blade is a half breed and so is Deacon Frost. And they really talk about how like classicism works with this with the elders because they keep sort of saying, like, you may have a lot going on for you, but you're never going to be a pure blood. You're never going to be, like, you're never going to have purity. I mean, it, it almost seems like hierarchical in the sense of, like, Nazi officers or something, to where you have 10% of this in you, so you can't be this now. So he is trying to be more vampire than vampire, and Blade is doing the opposite by trying to reduce the vampirism stuff. Yeah, he's he's searching for a cure the whole time. Right, day. he doesn't even right. want to bite people. No. He wants serum, yeah. Yeah. which... It the, all of those elements love it. It's great. Yeah. The biggest thing that drops me out of it is almost any time anyone speaks. the The dialogue is just it falls so short for me. Every uh, single no, time. I, I I agree with that. Some things are you know more exposition heavy than they need to be, and a lot of it's just like, you know. But why did you need to say that or just cheesy in general? Or it gets a little wacky and like yeah. kind of comical. Yeah. Like I mean, the entire like pearl element. And yeah. Did, so, sorry. Yeah. I, I know we're kind of like jumping forward. No, but, no, 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 you are. But well, <laughs> well, it, probably it's time to move along in that like sure. basically what happens is we get a bunch of backstory as to what Deacon is up to. And it's basically trying to summon a blood god that Blade is a part of. Right. Yes. And then Blade is basically going through trying to track down Deacon specifically since he seems to be directly responsible for all this bad shit that is going on. He seems to be at the helm of it, and that's essentially what happens. And essentially, yeah. we it, we get to a point to where the two meet, 
right? He puts on his sunscreen, goes out in public, and grabs a little girl. That's true. Then, much, much later. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, what happens between that is they go to another club. There's another shootout, fight scene, etc. You know, like that's... Yeah, so basically they, they go to, they find the archives that Deacon Frost is researching all this blood god stuff on. Um, it's like a, a Japanese nightclub. And they use the familiar. They beat the shit out of him some more. This guy is just a punching bag the whole movie. Right. I, I think he actually does a pretty good job. Yeah. Because, yeah, he, he, he's one of the better actors in I the movie. I think he's one of the most convincing yeah. characters in the he, movie. He is so sweaty and swollen and just, like, long-winded and, like, how pain Anxious. he is. Oh, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's really good stuff, yeah. And it really gets, like, Wesley Snipes a chance to show off just, like, mean, brutal little moves every 15 seconds there together. But yeah, they basically, they, they find where the archives are. He sort of gets clued in on what Deacon Frost is up to, like what the ultimate plan is here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you meet Pearl, like the 6,000 pound oh, vampire that farts upon yeah. entry. And they burn him up with like a UV lantern, which I guess that's kind of entertaining. I mean, it's definitely a gross effect. They they really... It gives Karen's know, character a moment to become a to little bit something. sadistic. Sure. Yeah, it, it kind of develops her a little bit to like being the person that'll pulled the trigger and right you know, like pearl is that's a pretty great costume and uh yeah yeah i think there were like eight puppeteers or something yes. that had to, to do that yeah and uh and a lot we'll, we'll go into sort of uh the director and his background but i think that had a lot to do with pearl being pulled off uh, but basically, yeah, we go from that to to what? Um, There's the train scene because yeah. they drop in on Blade and right. everyone fails to yes. capture him. And, and I, I do want to like point out here because there's another fight with him and Quinn. And yeah. the, every time those two meet... <laughs> he loses an arm. He, he loses an arm. He gets brutally... Like the first time he was burned. Uh, <laughs> he gets Full maimed. body burned. Yeah, full, he gets an arm cut off, He's full body He's throwing burned. an arm back and yeah. it's just awful. And I then think. this time he gets another arm cut off. And then his face is pressed against a moving train and dragged off yeah. of his skull and then blade yeah. performs the feat of strength of grabbing the back of this oh, train God. and yeah. not breaking this yeah. karen's neck it's, at mock it's speed it's insane like and he's he throws his arm out like he yeah, dislocates his shoulder so she returns the favor because she threw right. hers out earlier but yeah i mean i think the, the the special effects the cgi anyways it holds up about as well as it doesn't because there's places that really shines and there's places where it's, it's like rough. that yeah. shouldn't be yeah. in there yeah but yeah, basically, um, everyone kind of gets their ass whooped a little bit. No one really wins anything, and I, I guess they feel like their tails are tucked and their pride's been wounded a little bit. But um, yeah, you, we we basically have uh, Deacon Frost telling Quinn, you know, we we have to take him alive. You can't kill him because yeah. I need him for something. And they're all very upset about this. But he says, like, don't worry, you know, good things are 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 coming. Like, there's things in store here. And they take Udo Kier, the head of the vampire committee, and I, I think this is one of the standout scenes on the beach. And oh, yeah, it's a re- it's well shot. It's a really well shot scene, and the music's really good. And, and like the, I think the effect of him getting burned alive. Oh is my pretty good. god, it's a it it's a good conversation horrifying. too. I mean, he he basically talks to him like a person, and then like as he's cooking and talking about, you know, oh, you've never had the pleasure of a sunrise because that's why you were born a vampire. So this is where your fucking hubris got you. And he's like taking his shirt, like and buttoning it, and taking his tie off and all that, saying like, you know, he's cooking. He's almost trying to like appease him in some way. 
And then once the guy gets lippy, he he basically uh, emasculates him and being a pureblood and pulls his vampire teeth out. And they are covered in sunscreen, which, like you said earlier, sort of inexplicably... Makes it to where your eyes don't get hurt. It, well, movie reasons, it's fine. They, they, they put on... they Okay, so that's full sunrise, and they put on... The, uh, motorcycle, motorcycle helmets, helmets leather yes. jackets. Right. Yeah, this is so what eliminates the effects they, of UV rays. They are cutting down some of that there. But yeah, the, the shot of Udo Kier, um, it's like something like Ray Harryhausen would have done from Jason and the Argonauts or something. It's all stop motion, but it's almost like something from like Peter Jackson, like Dead Alive, like the really nasty early Peter Jackson stuff. Because man, it you're seeing skin just flaying and pulling back. You're seeing like vocal cords. It's a really nasty effect. So it's so funny listening to y'all talk about this scene now and like the details you noticed and everything because it sounds, the hearing you talk about it, it sounds like so much better than <laughs> what the fuck I watched because dude, like, I, I am sorry. I know it is like 90s and it shows age and everything but when I see that motherfucker in the foreground and the background is just clearly green screened or like... Oh yeah. It, composted on the back end or composite image i just fucking couldn't look away at that i just look at it and i'm like why does this feel like a sailboat floating in the middle of a horizon and i just couldn't i couldn't reason anything and like i know it's movie logic like it doesn't fucking matter how he's not getting hurt and he is like that it the important part of the scene is that he emasculates the head vampire, he rips out his yeah. fangs, and all of that is cool. And he kills him, and it was super easy. And what I don't really understand like the, the reasons behind how you can be the strongest vampire and how it's so easy to become the strongest vampire apparently. But the man, those fucking things. It was just hard to. It was hard to like appreciate the scene because it looked really goofy to me. I, but, I, I but disagree pretty I, hard. I think yeah. it's a great scene. It's a show of power. I mean, like I said, this, this no, no, guy no. is, he understands that everyone else has gotten so mm-hmm. lazy and complicit and, and basically what they think is power. And he's basically saying like, no, if you want something, you fucking walk right up to the person who has it and you knock them over the head and you take it. Sure. And that is absolutely a hundred percent agree. Uh, and then the wacky horror picture show that happens in front of me just rips me right straight out of it. I just well, cannot look away from the hey, fucking it, flame effect. It's, it's garnish it's, on a plate. You don't have to eat that. It's okay. It's, it's fucking, there if you want it. It's so yeah. rough. All right. I, I don't want to get hung up on like well, okay, shitting well, the, on they it. Have, they, have, they have the park scene. They go to the park and uh, the scene in Chinatown mm-hmm. and they, they do get to meet face to face. And uh, I, I think like that's... like holding a, a little girl. Yeah. Hostage. A little yeah, girl hostage. hostage. Like holds her up uh, above the ground yeah. and it like, like extends his fingernail out to like a claw like i can yeah. cut her throat in like half a second here uh i do want to say that there's a uh even before this there's a couple scenes they're doing shit in broad daylight and no one no one he's shit. beating the, the shit out of a cop yeah, yeah, beating yeah. the fuck out of a cop and <laughs> yeah. the only time it pulls a gun out on a cop as he's running down the street yeah, and, and that's the like, only okay. time anyone freaks out but the freaking out about the cop running around as soon as the cop's gone Everyone's back to normal, yeah. and he yeah. still got the fucking gun out, <laughs> yes. and it's just uh, everyone's just cool. Maybe, but, but, maybe but, but maybe they they're... do mention that vampires own the police and everything. everything so, like, yeah. why would they come and investigate the scene? I guess that's the only way you yeah, could like reason. Those it, like that was a packed sidewalk. Right, right, right. right. It's, it's funny because it's almost like they're making the people on the, just city people, like people on the street, they're making them like the lowest 
the lowest order because even like when he pulls up to drop her off, he basically almost runs people over. Like they're just cattle. They're just there. Like and that's yeah. what don't they say. don't worry about what their opinion is. Fuck them. Because yeah, you're right. He's beating the shit out of a cop in broad daylight, and it's like, what's someone gonna say to me? Look at me for God's sake. What is someone gonna walk up and say exactly? <laughs> Cell phones don't exist, so they would have to address me if to change anything in the situation. So yeah, I think that's the way they feel. I mean, they're almost like gods in a way. Like right. they're not worried about the opinion of little men. That's why they do it in broad daylight. Right. And that's even like one of the, the reasons that Blade uses to say, Well, they're just cattle, so what do I care? And then he goes to shoot Deacon, who mysteriously matrix out of the way yeah, and I, then does the Scooby Doo ah, and hops well, over the fountain or well, whatever. Well, well, hey, what does he also do? He throws a little Chinese girl so hard through a fucking hot dog cart. I mean, she <laughs> obliterates through that hot dog cart and she gets up and she has like two pieces of glass in her hair. And she I mean, she looks fine. Dude, like she, she, she looks better. The, They're so resilient. The bus that is coming to yeah. never breaks or never anything. Breaks. It just yeah. keeps and he hops over and he grabs her and Dude, gets her out of there. But basically that places to be. <laughs> Uh, it goes, uh, we learn a lot about the serum and all that stuff that can uh, save Karen. And basically she's developed like this uh, anticoagulant that will uh, cure her vampirism. And it will, it, well, that and then she's got something that will basically explode vampire yeah, blood. Right. You know, like it will react so intensely that it will explode vampire blood. And you better believe we get to see that get used. And it's so effects. cool that she blows up an entire microscope just to show uh, right, him something. Right. That, <laughs> I, I noticed that too. Like, she, well, well, she says, like, I ran by the hospital last night and we grabbed a few things. And it's like, you and that guy with like Forrest Gump legs <laughs> emptied an entire fucking wing of a hospital by the look of it. Like, and then start you know, busting speaking up of his legs. When she first shows up at their warehouse, yeah. and like, or when he's at, when she sees him injecting that se- the serum yeah. into uh, the blade, blade yeah. and he tries to, uh, Whistler tries to catch her when she runs away, that man runs so fucking fast for yeah. someone with his legs. He just like trots on yeah. after her and then just appears in front of her. Yeah. <laughs> M- Michael Myers appears yeah. or, or walks like slower than he does. Yes. Yeah. So, but, um, but after their meeting and everything, that was the one olive branch that Deacon was going to take so that obviously he could just do his whole plan and be, get yeah. off scot-free and not have to deal with Blade. But yeah, because smart Blade, plan. But because Blade refuses and Deacon gets away... And no one has any sense of like immediate danger for his hideout or whatever. They get the drop on him on Whistler they, and Karen. They get the drop on them, and yeah, they basically um, all but kill Whistler, and uh, they take Karen. And Blake comes back, and I, I think that's kind of maybe one of the only scenes where Snipes is like emotionally effective mm-hmm. because it's it's more yeah. about like. I I can't look at him. He's I, cold, but he it's a it's, it's a his very one friend, cold. and he's yeah. about to die. It, this is a guy he he really does love, and yeah, he he pulls the yeah. The, Snipes works here. I he think. works here, yeah, and it's a good scene because he he can't kill him himself, and I mean it's basically what he's not doing and not saying that sort of speaks to it, and even like wiping the blood off of him with his oh, little yeah. the littlest oh, napkins. Absolutely, he could find. but, yeah. but <laughs> I, I don't think the the idea there is to like <clears throat> actually to, do no. Anything. It's to comfort yeah. him, and this is the way I. Can can like make physical contact with you without right. us like having a big sappy moment because even even uh whistler's like give me the fucking gun like just walk away just walk away like don't make a big don't make a big show of this this is not what we are and he he does he turns yeah. and he just walks man Yeah, and whistler whistler makes a lot of sense consistently too because 
you know, even even earlier before that, where he's talking to Karen and she's dealing with like the vampire bites on her neck and they're still like oozing and everything. He knows it was too late for her vampirism at this stage because she hasn't yeah. cured herself. And he's like, well, it looks like we were too late. Yeah. And, it, and, and for what it's and, worth, I'm sorry. Yeah, and yeah. essentially what he's saying there is, you know, like, for what it's worth, I'm sorry we'll kill you. Yeah. Because you're yeah. trash at that point. Like, once yeah. you are, you're a monster at that point. Yep. So there's no saving you. I'm sorry. We tried. We tried. So, Give it a good shot, and, and, yeah. and he sticks to that. He sticks to that tune. He says, yeah. you know, walk the fuck away. Get out of here. I don't need help. I'm not, yeah, I am t- not becoming a factor shit. here. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't need me. Go do what you got to do. I would have killed myself sooner if I could have. Absolutely. It's only yeah. because I couldn't that I'm even at this point. Yep. And uh, basically he goes and prepares for uh, a big confrontation. I mean, the whole thing is just a, a lure to draw blade and basically drive his emotions up because and also he, drive well, a motorcycle into a wall well he'll fight stupid <laughs> i mean that's that's the idea it's kind of a rope-a-dope move and uh you do see him get all prepped up and he does he take takes the plant which they never go into but basically the plant uh it is a hybrid plant um and the idea is is that when you cut the roots off of it it's like a bushido warrior code thing of i am severing the ties to my old life and i'm right. facing death Meaning I cut away my surrogate father. I cut away the idea of my mother. I have no roots here. Yeah. Basically, like, I am prepared to die like a warrior if need be. And he goes to this tower. There's a pretty decent scene where they discuss, like, vampire dichotomy and all that between Deacon Frost and Karen. That's a pretty decent scene. Because basically, Frost gets pretty pissed off, and he kind of shows his cards. I mean... He, yeah, that's he, the one where she calls him an STD. Yeah, basically, yeah, you're a fucking freak mistake. You're, you're basically nature, like, messed up, and here you are. And basically, he's saying, like, you people are nothing. Like, you're fucking cattle. We're top of the food chain, and that's just the way it is, so deal with it. Th- you know, the whole world's about to become vampires. And he lays it all out on the table of what the actual plan with He explains his villainous plot. He does. Yeah. He, he explains it to his captive, but it's not like he's trying to kill her. He's, he's using her as a lure. So it does kind of work there, but Blade gets there and basically it's the lobby shootout. He goes in there and kills a lot of people. And what I think is really effective in that scene is where that one guy says like, come on, man, I just work here. And he blasts his head off. I mean, this guy, this is not, you know, Cyclops or Wolverine or something. There is no pity whatsoever. Yeah. He's Which killing people. Awesome. It's it's a great it. scene. Wish but more were like He's it. using that motorcycle almost like Batman. I mean, he's he's using scare tactics here. He's trying to work up their fear in that scene. And it's it's a pretty intense scene. So only for him to turn the corner and get into a kung fu match with two people who take turns. It's like a scene from <laughs> yeah. the raid almost. It reminded me of the baseball bats of people from the raid too, in a way. And I don't think they get a single licking on Blade. And he hits them with those anticoagulant and turns them into fucking tom- tomato people. fucking cool. Oh my yeah. god! Best it, effect in the movie. Yeah, there's yeah. so much blood in their head. I, I love how like he hits her on the ground and it shoots up like a geyser, and there's yeah. like there's like pieces of like meat in there. Yeah. And then right after that, the guy the pen to the wall bursts like to the right side of the screen. It's a really nice effect. Really nice. Uh, he gets thrown off by. Uh, his mom that's still alive and his deacon's like little uh, familiar she's a vampire she's now. a vampire she's, oh, a, yeah. vampire. she's a vampire she's but, unfamiliar. so, so she's... i i, I want to say something about this i didn't put this together until after 
I watched the movie last night. So she was bitten in 1967. So Blade's mm-hmm. about 30 or so, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if she's bitten in 67 and she's bitten, we found out that Deacon is the one that bit her. Bitter, yeah. Then Deacon, I would say Deacon's what, like 20? Yeah, he looks to be in his 20s. He's about 20. He's yeah. a vampire. He's immortal. Yeah, he's, well, so he's probably correct, a lot older. But, but, but he, yeah. when he was bitten, when he turned, he was probably around 20, 25. Right, yes. So, yeah. Meaning he was p- potentially born in the 40s, probably, or 30s. So probably this maybe. is a guy. Unless he'd been like a vampire correct. for much longer. For a long time. Could have been. Yeah, yeah. But the point is, is that if he was a vampire in the 60s, there is a lot of stuff there in terms of us being in Vietnam and the hippie generation and basically using people around you like the Manson family yeah. to where if you get people that are dumb and you are on a pedestal to them, you can use them for whatever you want. Because even the way that... I mean, he's kind of got that oh. in his own crew. Like it. With Quinn, absolutely, with the, with the blonde girl, the bl- uh, which is not his girlfriend. Yeah, no, no. You, it you, seems like it at first. You see him with not. all kinds of women. That basically, yeah. he walks in that room with that party and He's just picks one up. Yeah, whatever he wants. And even even when he tells uh, Quinn, "Put your arm out." And he's like, come on, man, I just got it back. He goes, put your arm out. Yeah. And it's like, he's willing to have his arm cut back off to appease this guy. This guy, like I said earlier, a cult of personality. Yes. That's his power. Because finding someone to be a physical match for Wesley Snipes, this was a problem in a lot of action movies, man. Especially in the 90s. You've got Cliffhanger with uh, Stallone, fucking peak Stallone. And you have him have a fist fight with John Lithgow. (laughs) A guy who was born 49 years old. And, and, and he gets whooped a little bit. And, like, of course, the remedy is always like, well, just have them get grazed by one bullet or get stabbed in the thigh. And that way that way, He's they can't move as fast. Than, right? Yeah. James Kahn, who's like 62 and a racer, has a fist fight with Arnold Schwarzenegger in 1996. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's a problem in most things because you have a big, big dummy with two guns and it's like, well, we got to get some kind of star power. We have to have someone who can act. So the bad guy's usually like a pretty decent character actor. Yeah. This here. Not muscly though. Not muscly because who the fuck is going to look like that? Who's going to look like, you know, a a guy who's been working out in Austria since he was four. Unless you're an action star. Unless you're an action star. And then you've got two big dummies and that doesn't really work most of the time in terms of plot device. Right. So basically Deacon is kind of mansony in this i mean he doesn't get his hands dirty hardly ever even with whistler he walks up and beats the fuck out of him and kicks him like a dog i think he leaves it and to then wa- yeah do what you gotta do and walks off he's not even willing to finish most people off i think you only see him actually kill one person the cop i think that's it i don't think he kills anyone else i mean besides udo kier kind of the vampire yeah but yeah. that's more of like a sideline death by proxy kind of thing yeah yeah so basically but 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 yeah so they're they're in the deacon's like room or whatever and the coffin bed opens up which is a cool bed um and he gets thrown off by his mother actually being alive and you know oh you were searching for the vampire who bit your mother for so long and that turns out wacky it's me and it's it, like all these things were like weirdly interconnected all along, which I was kind of thrown off by because like they explained earlier that like Blade and Whistler go from city to city. All it made it to yeah. me, it made it seem like they were traveling the U.S. almost like 
the world yeah, he's, essentially he's studying a but, map yeah but but now he's just ended up in the same spot with the same vampire with his mother that all everything kind of like weaves together which is oh which well, I think is, they, they uh, all they all move i think they all move around. yeah he was yeah. talking about like migration patterns or something I, yeah they but, follow vampires have migration right patterns. right and because yeah. they're, so, they're birds and so they yeah so <laughs> they get the drop on him and they projecting a little aren't we and yeah. they <laughs> and they taser him down which this i guess like this point like this is the start of where i'm just like now we're kind of getting into scooby-doo scenario where like yeah, a oh, little bit oh wacky yeah. stuff it, starts, it seems like, like it was everyone a starts to become severely inept yeah and just like not well like, it's like maybe the studio wanted a bigger ending than what was originally planned probably right so, so they they do this whole like bringing back the life of dead god right and so he he kind of you know he gets taken down with the tasers and everything and like that's how you got blade i know like we've seen him hey massacre and 30 listen, people in, in, half in a terms second. in terms of like how do you capture blade i mean i don't know how else you'd right, write it right so I, I don't have an issue with like okay they finally like decided like oh this is what i mean yeah we should have done this three scenes ago when we fought him yeah you should have but whatever they get the drop on him you can write it off as like oh he sees his mother and it's like such a shock that he's like thrown off his game and everything that's fine such a shock huh yeah Did, are you being punny well, I mean, I was, but now that you've pointed it out, I kind of don't want it. <laughs> now, yeah, now the joke doesn't work. <laughs> so, so, so it, you know, I, I understand all of that, but it's the lead-in, and, like, this just kind of encompasses the entirety of the ending, right? Um, it, there's a lot of, like, exposition and setup and everything that's about to happen with, like, the, the ancient yeah. ruins and, like, him walking Blade through, like, this is what we're here for. And, like, he does his whole villain art sure. speech and everything. Temple of Night thing. Right. Which is but, a, re- a really sweet set. It's but, cool. yeah, it looks it yeah. looks sweet. Um, And you've got, like, the B-listers on the sideline who are like, whatever. But, you know, all the, like, higher-up vampires are just like, well, I guess we'll fall in line and we don't really have a choice. Okay. But what happens is, like, this weird setup of where, like, I don't know why anyone is, like, not paying attention to, like, these vital elements that could threaten the whole operation, right? Like, it seems like Deacon is, like, smart. He's decrypting, like, runes and ancient languages, and he's, like playing these like this yep. he's when playing he all the these sword, cards he and, knows about the trap right he's setting people up he's smart he's witty but not smart enough to make sure karen dies or like station a guard down there or a guard where blade is just tied up or have any guard that has a gun other than the one dude with a shotgun at the top of the fucking ruins that she gets. And everyone else is just a myriad of inept fucking guys going to punch Blade. So, like, nothing is, like, locked down. It seems very, like... Well, Blade is also... He, he's going for basically through, like, heroin withdrawal because right, he's... It, sure. Yeah, but, he's not but in good like, shape. But like, but, like, Blade is the one vital piece, right, to the whole operation. And like, yeah, and once it, he starts getting, once he starts getting, yeah, 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 yeah. Once he starts getting bloodletted and everything, I mean, you can make the argument. It's like, okay, well, all I needed was his blood. So who really gives a shit? How, like, what happens with him now? Yeah, I mean, but it's, it's done. Then. He's the only guy there that's gonna like actually threaten your setup, right? So like, to leave yeah. him like totally unguarded, Karen gets thrown to, you know, it, she I, gets thrown to Curtis, who turns right. out to be like a genetic mutation, which occasionally happens. Basically, he's become Renfield. 
they say that he, he eats anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's he, a monster. Animals, bugs, whatever he can get his hands on. And yeah, you meet him and he's, he's a fucking mess down there. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, I think some of that stuff with Deacon, it, it does fall into like movie trope villain trappings of like, I, I, I don't, I can't just have a death be a death. A death needs to be sort of like weirdly ironic or bittersweet. It's got, like, everything's got to tie in. Everything's yeah, got to come don't, back. Don't just shoot her. Like it, it all has to be part of my plan. Right. And I, I think that's villain hubris. To I've where, got something special for you. And so right. him and Quinn walk her down to this part of the place where no one else visits again or makes sure or any, like not even one dude. <laughs> but I, it, like I know again, it's like movie logic, like blade has to get out. How does he get out? Karen helps him. It, it, because we've got to have the whole scene where like he sucks blood from her that you yeah. set up obviously. It, it's it's a really good scene too because you're seeing the blood ritual happening while he's getting his life back. You're seeing basically Deacon and Blade sort of power become up. savage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And man, when when he finally does get what he needs and and goes into basically like Wolverine Berserker mode, mm. it's pretty fucking great. And then so like basically just to like hit the highlights they go to the ruins every he explains his plan again and he after a couple of shows of power throws karen into the ditch with uh old curtis the zombie and then goes about like setting up his ritual blades in a little stone box getting bloodletted and some blood drops around and then starts electrocuting everybody all the higher up vampires i was confused about one thing hang on so the blonde lady who I had a big fucking crush on when I was 13. Mm-hmm. I don't know who that person is, but she she looks really nice in certain scenes, but at the end there, she's walking around like in a pimp, like nah. mink coat yeah. or something. Yeah. And uh, she basically, she, this, one of the elders mouths off to her and she, she kills, kills him. him. Yes. And so and how does the ritual How does the ritual work, work anymore? Now? Does any vampire matter? And if at that point, any vampire could do it, well then, why the fuck? I don't think it. I think it's pure blood. I think okay. it has to be pure blood. Right. So, but like, why did it have to be those ones? And I like, at that point, know. did he have a backup pure blood well, he, for the ritual? Did it need all of them? Did though? it need all of well, them? Okay, here's here's yeah. something I thought about. They bothered to show it, and it seems like that that would have been a pretty huge oversight if they didn't tie it. Now they never say anything, but I'm thinking that because they were missing one, that maybe Deacon's not as strong as he would have been. That maybe like, I feel like that should be pointed. I think out, it should though. too. But it shouldn't be a subtle. So should plot lots note. of things. I mean, the plant should be. They spend like sure, yeah. Okay. They spend okay. time showing things, but they. This is not an expository heavy movie until yeah the until begins, people talk until people talk yeah everything else as a visual storytelling device this whole movie is really fucking solid and stylish and that makes more sense to me now that you say that that like if you write it off as like that's what makes deacon not strong enough i mean why resist basic chemistry why not yeah right but like you know he he can take he can take acid etched blades cutting him in half but as soon as someone realized that you could put salt on butter and put it in a syringe. Fuck me! I can't deal with that you, no more. The blood wait, god. Wait a minute. What is that? What is that analogy? Do you do that? Do <laughs> yeah. you, what is That's actually how science sounds? works. Yeah. Every time we do, you're like do you forty pounds that? heavier. <laughs> <laughs> and you keep bringing up salted butter and syringes. Just injecting butter. But we're talking but, about Garfield. What does that have to do with anything? But yeah, so, I'm just saying. So that before we get to the end fight scene, I just I gotta stop at this moment because it is the weirdest thing in the entire movie to me. It's 
the sexual tension that is shown oh, yeah, between yeah. Thought, his I'm, mother and him. Look, this hey, is hey, the every day's mommy's day. Okay, <laughs> every day's mommy's day. In I mean, Blade's yeah, life. you're right. When his mom comes up and she's about to strap him in, she just gets she gets really very close to his sexual. Face. Well, very I'm, sexual. I'm thinking that Blade is probably older than his mom now. The, in yeah, human years, yes. Yeah. And I kept thinking, like, this is the main issue that I have with his mother being alive. Right? Is that like? Okay, if she was a vampire familiar and then became a vampire and all of this, it's like, does she not have any familial instinct for Blade? No, no like she's at, a complete at, monster at, one. That right, she's, she's awful. But I do also feel like there is some subtle, not not like hints, but like suggestions that, is that really his mom? There were oh, a I don't know. Moments she, she like where comes on it. It was brought into question. Yeah, it's the same actress, but I'm not... Sure. I, I may. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. I mean, I assume it is. It seems strange. It almost seems like that that Frost is saying all that shit to spite Blade. Like, yeah, I am. And by I'm in a way your dad, not directly, but I. I am the vampire part of you. Yeah, I am the one that created you. And it's almost like I'm telling you this, so you do have to wonder. I'm planting that seed of doubt in your mind. Yeah. In all honesty. I would have preferred if his mom was just actually dead. And Deacon can still be the person that, like, did her and everything. Like, that's totally fine. But I I almost would have preferred if she just wasn't there. Like, yeah. I, I like the whole scene where he, like, stakes her with a bone, which apparently that also oh, acts no, as... Oh, no, no, like, no, no. There's a lot more than just a bone. I mean, I think it's just... It's sort of like the brain and, and the heart and everything else. Because when he goes into berserker mode... He punches through a guy's heart, mm-hmm. and the guy turns into Mars Attacks dust or whatever. I mean, so it, right, they start disintegrating just from him touching. The, it it gets a little weird as to like what causes. You just need to destroy the heart. Okay, okay, so that makes a lot more sense yes. to me. But because I thought this was like a little bit more rules as to what actually well, makes them disintegrate. I, I noticed that when yeah. they're in the subway and they're before they come running all out, he turns and he shoots the machine gun, just sort of spreads it wild. He knocks a bunch of them down, and a few of them get back up. See, I can't yeah, tell what. Like to... even the guy when he's raiding the the his uh, deacon's place, that there's that one guy on the ground who's probably still a vampire, but he's he's bleeding. Yeah, See, right? I can't tell who's a familiar, who's a vampire. It's hard to tell, really. But but he especially did... like the cops and the uh, and the mercenary or the mercenaries and the right, 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 right. So some who of them are vampires. Who, who cares? Right. He, it, yeah, it doesn't really he, matter. He, he does tell her though. If you don't aim, if you don't get him in the head or the heart, it doesn't mean dick. Right, like, and right. and I think that you know he does demonstrate that I can I can see the way they move, the way they smell. He knows which one's a vampire. He knows right. how what to aim for. Now, if and he person, knows that you can do seven roundhouse kicks in a row on one guy, and, and the this. other six will not mess with you. <laughs> yeah, that was a weird thing. because all wait. the guns are gone yeah. now mysteriously. But and all yeah. oh, fuck, okay, so yes, dude, <laughs> just get it all out, dude. Jesus. Okay, this I know an, over an hour. I know, right now. but I fucking it's just like when he comes back. And starts whipping ass and like, yeah, you can be like, oh, he's in super savage mode and he's just going sicko. Like, that's that's great. I understand. Yeah. Why the fuck didn't six dudes just show up with tasers again? Because that's what puts Blade down. Seems and even if like they you'd want to have some tasers on hand. Even if they no. did, 
and just walked up and started tasering him, I would have preferred if they tasered him and he was like, not this time, motherfucker, ice skating. And then like starts whipping ass because then that would explain like, oh, well, that even if they had those, it wouldn't fucking matter. It wouldn't work. One brave soul shows up with a shovel. And it's like, yes, I got that. Look, whatever he's getting paid, he needs more. I'm the one man who yeah. showed up with a weapon to fight the absolute unit that this, is Blade. This, yeah. Blade has just, right before this, ripped a guy's throat out and thrown the chunk into another guy's face. Yeah, my man's going for the turkey. Yeah, he's going for the turkey. You really want that turkey, don't you? <laughs> so he... I'm sure that, that's, that's not that deep of a cut, but and so when we, someone out there smiling. So yeah. while while Blade's doing his, like, you know, he's doing his thing, he's whipping ass, he's cool as shit, Karen goes and gets this shotgun, shoots a guy, and then the, the blonde-haired girl comes for her because no one else is available. You gotta, well, you got to have a cat fight. You yeah. got Exactly. you yeah. got to have a cat fight, and it's got to be catty. And, like, the dude... She whips out the fucking pepper spray, which, how does she have it? Why is shit still on her she, person? She got her jacket back. She was a prisoner. But she got her jacket back. Yeah, that's did, right. She, 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 when she, she did When she did join the Blade crew, she got a leather jacket. But it just comes out, and she gets her in the mouth with it. Hey, and like, let me tell you something. It's because we haven't seen the mace get to do anything yet. When she does use it, it's just, what is this, fucking garlic? I'm, hey, Chekhov's... I know. Fucking garlic space. I know. I under, and I, I like that it gets used and is a callback, but I'm just But like, it's obviously I, it, there to be used. It's, exactly. It's yes. like it shows up just to be used. Yes. And it, it just goes back to what I was saying earlier with like all of Deacon's wit and setup and planning and all this execution to like make all these cards fall in such a way that it's conducive to his entire plan. Yeah. And no one like confiscates the shit. Like no yeah. one throws well, it away. I think like uh, this is kind of a trend that continues with a lot of action movies today. Even there can be too many Chekhov's guns. Which yeah, just a, there's too you, many callbacks that everyone's yeah. trying to like. Something's in. not there for a narrative purpose. It's there just so it can be used later. Yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you one thing with, with the mace scene that would have been a lot better if we had seen the mace before we got to see the anticoagulant syringes because that is like a hundred times like the speed. Cooler. Yeah, and then the mace basically just explodes ahead, which is great. Yeah. But they should have shown that maybe halfway through the movie and then up the ante. Exactly. With the exactly. That would have been sweet. So, and so, so moving on into. They do that. And then there's a qu- another Quinn fight, the final one. <laughs> well, it's not even a fight. Yeah. <laughs> fucking rule. Well, that, Best fight in the movie, say, like, though. Yeah. All of these, anyone but Deacon, is just like a quick one two punch and then they're out, right? Yeah. So, and and Deacon's just like, I, you're not going to get me this time. Yeah. And then I'm going to cut you up real bad or whatever he says. Dude, no, he, he pulls out like a razor wire from his belt and yeah, cuts his right. whole body in half. That's right. Yeah. And catches his glasses. Cue the Chemical Brothers or whatever the fuck song they're playing. <laughs> fucking and rules. It's, though. it's the coolest fucking moment in the movie. It's a great It's so scene. sweet. You've got the lippiest, loudest, mouthiest fucking villain in the entire movie. You know what it is? You're just waiting for him to die. It's Indian. Indiana Jones shooting the swordsman. That's what it is of like, okay, yeah. all right, come on. And then just like, exactly. I, I, like, we've I done can, this yeah. three times. I can kill it's you so anytime I want. so fucking good. And then we go into the final fucking fight of him and which, Deacon with the lightsaber sword fight. Which, okay, I, I want to ask this. Does being a blood god make you a master swordsman? Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Because 
Deegan, not only is he a master swordsman in the scene, he is pretty agile. I mean, he's all over the place. He's got super speed. He is. Yeah, I mean, it, it does. It'll make him faster, I'm sure. I make him faster yeah. and a lot stronger. It makes you sure. keep doing the same clang, 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 clang up top. Yeah, it's like. Yeah, a, yeah. It, well, you don't want to hit the person you're fighting. <laughs> yeah, well, never. It's, it's, it's almost like. <laughs> you got to get a couple roundhouse they, kicks they, in there, too. Exactly. I mean, that's a tall order, though. If you're like an actor that's mainly like in dramatic roles, I mean, uh, you know, this guy, Stephen Dorff's never done an action movie. He did Judgment Night in like 92. Sure. But he's never been in an action movie. You're going up against Wesley Snipes in a finale, but you're also using a fucking sword. I think you just fight like an Errol Flynn movie. You just go high like Captain Hook. And there's even like like a go low when he jumps over it thing. There's a lot of like it, that dude, that sword fight's bad. I, I do like I do like him running up the ramp with like the Bushido stance that, that with the was sword cool. behind him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool because it, it's doing these little hints that like, yeah, this guy's probably gone to the Far East and like studied with masters. Like basically Whistler said, if you want to go hand to hand with these fucking things, you need to learn how to use them. So he's probably right. got a lot of training there. Even his tattoos, I'm sure they're somehow Japanese related because they seem like they're all down his back and stuff. I, I have no idea. I haven't no looked clue. into like the lore or origin nah, at all of like either. Blade as a character and his development as a, as I mean, a master they do, swordsmith. They, they do it very differently. In the, I, I just know well. that. And his origin, he does not look, he doesn't have a trench coat. No, he's it, got like <laughs> a fucking no. green jacket he's, with yellow collars and a yellow mask. It's mainly, it's mainly, in, very uh, mainly set in New Orleans and yes, uh, they're all Deacon Frost is like this guy from he's like, an old doctor yeah an he's old like man. victorian london guy it's Fuck, can i watch this movie nothing I like mean, this so anyways he does still deliver he's like the doctor that delivers uh the baby when when uh oh, blade's okay. being gotcha. born oh that and makes... so he he's gonna he feeds on his on his mom that makes a lot of sense so yeah. that's how he did it and that's probably kind of like similar to what the movie did they just don't tell they just you. don't tell you because sure, they never right, tell right. you like what are the circumstances and it gives I, I guess at the end of the day i don't really care like no. how blade came to be and everything you're not gonna but, ask but with this sword fight and everything like you see the ultimate like culmination of like what it is the blood god it's it's all the higher up vampires become their vampiric souls and they flow into deacon and he becomes yeah. this like not really looking any different. He gets red eyes, and then he goes like crazy with the sword and everything, fighting. He's like matching Blade and everything yeah, sure. until Blade whips out his special juice. Well, hang then- on, hang on. He he cuts his arm off and then cuts him in half, and then the CGI is not great. It's real bad. It no. comes put together, but I do like after Deacon's sword goes away, because they do some really interesting stuff, where basically he is cutting him up and swinging the sword like a wild man. But basically, it's just like ribbons of clothing are coming off because it's just going right through Deacon. It's he's mm-hmm. learning like how to use his blood body now. It's like fighting the T one thousand with a right. sword. Right. It doesn't matter what you do to him. At no. This point. And I mean, basically, Deacon is like toying with him because mm-hmm. this is like a highlight of his life. I mean, he's letting him basically take turns, like volleying with him in a way, and saying yeah. my, my turn. And he's zipping around and knocking the shit out of Blade. I mean, he's winning this fight. And he lets it go to his head, and he gets a hold of the anticoagulant, and he hops up like a mongoose or something. <laughs> the crane kick pose yeah, that yeah. he does. And he, he fires every one of the coagulants into him except for one, <laughs> and he delivers. He delivers. Go ahead. You, you, you've already done it four times. You might as well go ahead and okay, no, Gary, go, hey, go for the turkey. <laughs> you, you do it. Do the line. Do the line, Gary. Do, do you the have line? the deepest voice. Go ahead. Uh, okay. <laughs> Somebody's always trying to ice skate up. No, it. not somebody. It's yeah. some, some motherfucker's always trying yeah, to ice some skate Some motherfuckers. Up it's Which not is just like, somebody. Yeah, cut out the bad part I did. Let, hold, let, can I get a clean take? Let <laughs> oh, me get fuck. a clean we take. Got, we gotta drop this whole right. thing. Yeah. <clears throat> Start the episode over. <laughs>
Some motherfuckers always trying to ice I skate. I wanted Bill. to do it. Ah, I just went and did it for you. Okay. It's, it's better now. But he delivers that line, which. What? Ugh. Ugh. Just like not good. I, I remember when I was so 13, the, this I squinted. Is a thing like, that, huh? Yeah, this is a th- one of the things that Wesley Snipes actually said while they were in rehearsals and just talking about the characters. And he described Deacon Frost, Deacon Frost as some char- somebody who is always trying to ice skate up a hill. And David S. Gore, uh, Goyer and uh, uh, Stephen Norrington. We're like, that sounds fucking badass. It does not. And then they put no. it in the script. <laughs> no, I, I mean that's like the big, like the big always bet on black, like Wesley line. Like the the action hero has to say something, which he doesn't. I don't think you should. I guess it's better than a fist pump after it's, he does. It's you certainly need, you better need than that. A beat. Sure. Uh, you need a beat. It doesn't always have to be dialogue, but that's usually what. I mean, even like I got a cure for you. Anything would have been better than that, dude. Even if he said "stay frosty," and <laughs> like that would have been fucking better. Dude, uh, I swear. He dude. may say that in Blade Trinity for all we know. <laughs> but so basically, Deacon becomes the guy that inflates in Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, and it explodes, explodes in a mass of blood, and Blade does did, not get touched. Did you know? Did you notice that when he gets big, I was looking for it. You see some some pain. You see a big old bloated ding dong there. Do you? You absolutely do. It's, I, I mean, look, he's all play. like bumps and ridges and stuff, but there's a big, there's a ding dong there. I mean, someone. That's someone, actually not in there. Mike just really wants it. Yeah, to he be. drew it on his TV screen. <laughs> what? What? It like, was already drawn on the TV screen, but no, it wasn't over <laughs> where Deacon was. But yeah, so basically he blows up. Uh, yeah, that's that's based kind of the end of the movie. They they go out onto the rooftop, which apparently this ancient temple was just in a warehouse district or something. <laughs> yeah. I guess. I uh, really no tarp don't know. over top either. No. Yeah, there's an alternate ending where that is the last scene yeah. of them crawling out, and uh, he says he doesn't need the cure, and then they look over the rooftops, and she's like, you're not done yet. And he sees a silhouette of Mr. Michael Morbius who was at that time played by the director of the movie. No, oh, I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, he was he was oh, shit. He, he was playing Michael Morbius. He's just standing in the distance. You can't make it out, but gotcha. he's supposed to be Morbius. Okay. So so, so they're Morbin before Jared Leto. Was the guy at the end of the movie playing old Morbius is yeah, the director. Uh, the director is Stephen Norrington. Um who has a very interesting very. career. He's a uh, this guy is an effects guy through and through. He's only made four movies. Um, this is his second. He's only directed four movies, and this is his second. Yeah. Um, so he's he does a lot of special. Had done a lot of special effects work. Um, worked on Aliens with James Cameron. He worked mm-hmm. on uh, Witches, the Nicholas Rogue movie with Angelica Houston. He did the head witch effect in that, which is really outstanding. Uh, he did uh, Hardware, Richard Stanley, which is yeah. a very bizarre little movie, uh, and then Alien Three with Fincher. I mean. He even worked on Gremlins with Joe Dante. I mean, yeah. this guy's worked with... He worked on Return to Oz and did a voice of, yeah. I guess, one of the characters he worked on, Gump, which is like a a, a, a moose, a weird moose head that is attached and animated and attached to like a sofa and stuff so it can move around and fly. It's very strange. Yeah, this is this is not like a small timer in terms of effects. I mean, th- this is what no. his bread and butter was. So he got his start in, uh, I think it's... 87 is Death Machine was his first movie. Hmm. I thought it was 93. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think you're yeah, right. it's early yeah. '90s. It's after all of his big effects stuff. Yeah, you're right. It's it's '90s. Right after, I guess he worked on um, Alien Alien Three. So what's yeah. the what's the last thing he worked on? Well, we'll, we'll get the, to it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> you'll you'll know what it is. I, oh, I, I want you to see this trajectory though. But basically, okay. The, so it's kind of a kind of a pretty high bar then. If it, that's if that's what we're yeah. Because I mean, about, I, like, I told he's, Garrett he's I mean, very. Up, it's more interesting what he didn't do after his last one. Okay. Um. So like the his first thing is a, a movie called death machine which is kind of like almost a robocop uh knockoff thing it's like set in this uh corporate building uh brad Dourif plays this maniacal genius uh engineer who's building this these death robots and all the corporate people are afraid to fire him because he has killed corporate executives before and they know that he'll kill them okay and uh so he like builds a giant robotic dog that he can sick on anybody and he traps like some executives in a building and it becomes like a survive the night thing. And it's very, it's very effects heavy, like, like practical effects heavy. The robot dog looks pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Um, there's some pretty cool stuff in it. Um, it's a, it's very B movie though. Okay. It's yeah. a, very much an indie B movie. And so what? And then what but, came after was Blade. Yeah, right? this the second one? because Which, of Death Machine, a, a studio head at I guess New Line saw it I and guess. thought he would be a good fit for Blade. Because up, so up this to this is the point, movie that gets him Blade. Until I did the actual research for this, <laughs> I have always been under the assumption that Norrington was a music video director because a lot of these guys sort of um, they cut, all, cut they, their teeth. A lot teeth, of them start out in music. Including movies. Fincher and a lot of those guys where they have a style, they have a look, they have an aesthetic because Blade is nothing but very stylish. I mean, Death it is. Machine also has a lot of that style. There's a lot of like first person of the uh, of the robots and yeah. so there's it, a lot of cool stuff. So what comes after blade then so he he does blade and blade is like a big hit he basically gets right. huge keys to the kingdom okay. uh sort of it takes a little bit his next thing is a movie called last minute which i haven't seen I, i've uh, seen it i saw it years and years ago it's actually pretty good um it's kind of about being at the it guy it's about a guy who uh like oliver twist it's kind of an oliver twist till they literally have a character named fagan in it he rises to power uh, from something he did. They never say what the work was, so you don't know if he's an actor or a writer or whatever. doesn't matter. The point is that people want you, and then all of a sudden they don't. It does have Stephen Dorff in it. Uh, clearly, they got on pretty well. He's only in there for a minute. But I think, I think that it's more about the director himself and saying that all of a sudden everyone wanted me. And I didn't like anyone who I was being surrounded by. And having all these people in your ear saying, what about this? What about that? Wesley Snipes is a producer on Blade. And I think a lot of some of those choices in that movie, I mean, Snipes is going for more of a throwback sort of blaxploitation, action hero, anti-hero thing. And that trilogy does become like a Snipes vehicle. Basically, I mean, you you see the rest of the movie. And I, I feel like, I mentioned this earlier, that Snipes... There's a scene where I think it's the park scene. Snipes and Dorf, that was their first time working together. That was like Dorf's first day. And he was going for something. He'd been working on the character. Thought he had a pretty good uh, idea for it. Mm-hmm. And Snipes is saying, listen, it needs to be this. It needs to be this. What's ironic, I think, is that Snipes, I don't think he understands what the final product is going to look and sound like. And I think that Dorf has an absolute understanding of what this thing is going to look and sound like. Because it's a lot more visual than I think Snipes ever gave Norrington credit for. 
because we we actually looked into it and I thought, well, maybe since Norrington wasn't music videos, maybe it's the, the DP, maybe it's the director of photography that did a lot of the stylist, uh, stylistic choices. It's a guy named Theo Vandesand. This is a guy who basically did like rom-coms and like Little Black Book with Brittany Murphy. This is not a visual uh, no. DP at he's, all. He's the commercial guy. He sets he's the camera up guy. and he hits he hits roll basically. I think a lot of this stuff is Norrington. Um, he makes this little little British movie called The Last Minute though. It's not bad. And then he does uh, one more thing. Yeah, in 2003, his final movie uh, so far is The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. With Sean Connery. Huh. Yeah. You said, you know, you've seen that, right? Or you know of it. The Alan yeah, Moore been, adaptation. Been, been, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it's not, it's not a good movie, but no. it has, it has elements that are cool. Like the steampunk aesthetic is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, there, there's some stuff that I think are pretty cool, but the, a lot of it really gets away from him and it's probably like a... A studio thing. Um, it's not. It's not Alan Moore's story at all. It is. No, it is no. taking a lot of liberties. Definitely not. Uh, yeah. So that was his last thing that he got. But as far and as and also like, Sean Connery's last project, who was very contentious to work with, they almost had fist fights on set. So. Yeah, they basically they basically got along so horribly they both semi retired after that movie. Jeez. I mean, between working with Snipes on Blade and working with and Snipes at the height of his power too. Yeah, and then working with Connery in two thousand three, this guy yeah. had a rough go with stars. That's yeah, why like, the last minute probably works. Doing only doing four movies and two of them, you work with the most notoriously difficult people. Yeah, as your leads, he had a rough go, mm-hmm. and this guy just wanted to build creatures and put them on film. And well, I gotta say the the highlight to me of Blade, like overall practical effects, is when well, not just the practical effects, but like when no one's speaking yeah like yeah. it really shines when it's everything is director. yeah when everything is just letting we're letting it happen we're letting just it breathe, watching yeah. it no one's doing any wacky like comical gestures no one's saying much everything is very cool collected and slick yeah yeah. That's when it looks sick that's like uh, like all the best moments in in the movie to me were all the moments where it's like trance music blasting and blade swinging. Yeah, like the sound design is fantastic in that. Yeah, yeah. and the, yeah. and the, I think you know, fuck, give it up to him. Like I know, I know, I said a lot of like uh, like critical things about the movie, but I fucking like the movie. The movie I like rocks. it a lot. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it kicks ass. Blade is badass. Like I I said it like three times when we were watching it the other night that like this is just what Batman should be. And this it, is it's how funny you brutal say that it should be. Because it does feel grounded. It does feel like it, it works in a real world. And this is written by David Goyer, who literally goes on to make the Dark Knight trilogy in 2005, which is the what if Batman was real thing. And not only that, but we have, we talked about the parallels between um, Whistler and Alfred and all that. Mm-hmm. And Deacon Frost kind of works on the same level as the Joker of the the exterior of this guy, the posterior of this guy looks like one thing, but really there's a lot more going right. on there. Like, oh, I'm just crazy. And it's like, no, there's a lot more organization happening there and yeah. a cult of personality. Get surrounded by a bunch of dummies, a bunch of young dummies, and give them what little they need to feel hip and sexy and cool. And you've got yourself an army at that point. Yeah. yeah. There's a th- lot of parallels so, there. I think if something of this caliber of like violence and like letting the action lead and everything had come out today with like modern, you know, type of like technology and just ability to not like show its age and everything. Yeah. I would I would 
think this is fantastic. You know, if if it wasn't like so much of a time capsule, like seeing VHS tapes laid out that say "Play Me" and yeah, you know, yeah. CD, but just stuff that stands Very out to you that kind of like rips you out dated, of the moment. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I, I fucking I love when superhero movies like will be violent and also not like not like to say too much. You know, yeah, I want them yeah. to be dark and broody and. But keep the action up, you know? This is what a Punisher movie should have so, been. Right. I don't yeah. want to see, like, drama. I no. want to see Blood Rave. I want to see the clubs and the towers. And, you know, I want to yeah, see all those shit. moments. Yeah. So, so this guy, yeah. uh, Norrington, after he does Blade, he gets uh, he's asked to do Blade 2, which he says, nah, passes on it. Fuck. And uh, your it most goes, successful thing ever. I know. And, you, and then he, he passes it, and it goes to Guillermo del Toro. Um, to that, so uh, this is the stuff they said no to, and there's a lot of recognizable, like huge franchise things. They but, wanted him. Yes, yeah. he was. He was a yet. Yeah, he. It goes on for a while. Too, he, so, like, he was the last minute topic. He was the it guy for he a was. minute there. Yeah. Uh, 2001. He's asked to do. Uh, he or he was attached to do Ghost Rider. Um, wow. and then it changed studio hands and he got dumped off. Yeah, the project. Thank, thank God that was put in capable hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that same year he, uh, he agreed to do a Shang-Chi movie in 2001. He was huh. probably the, one of the first guys to actually be attached to a Shang-Chi movie. Well, not only that, but also, and he uh, wanted to do it as a martial arts movie. Do you know? it well as a launch pad for a more obscure, um, minority Marvel character. Yeah. It, it worked for Blade. Let's get him to do exactly. an Asian exactly. character. Yeah. Uh, Ang Lee was attached to uh, as a producer for a time. And, you know. Wild the, that this could have materialized that long ago. I know. Yeah. Yeah. This shit. And here's another one that was like well, the, uh, 2002. Snipes was going to be Black Panther. That's what he wanted to do before Blade. Yeah. They wanted to do a Black Panther. Yeah. They just. And they were Blade out, is like, so much better. Blade is a lot. I mean, well, yeah, Blade, Blade, Blade is what they did with Blade is a lot better. They right. That, that's what I mean. That's yeah. what I mean. In that, like, I look at Blade and I'm like, fuck, that's the character I would yeah. want to be. Yeah. Um, 2002. He was attached to. He, he was attached <sighs> to direct a remake of Akira. Um, huh, everybody okay. was. Yeah, everybody was. was but this, yeah. is, I mean, he was probably one of the first attached, yeah. right? Hughes brothers got it after him. And I then mean, after it's... Extraordinary Gentleman comes out, it doesn't do well, and then he gets knocked off that yeah. one. But even after Extraordinary Gentleman, he's like getting tapped to do, uh, I mean, he was attached to extend, ex- expand the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen to, well, into a franchise. Um, you know, I, I guess I, he gets... He, he still gets to be Morbius, you know? Like, he's the first Morb, so that's pretty that's cool. That's true. He that's did. true. I mean, you got to better, get, too. <laughs> you got to pick your wins a deleted you scene. Uh, <laughs> he was also attached to, as as late as 2007, this is when he's, 2010 is the last thing he got really attached to, but 2007 he was attached to uh, Clash of the Titans. Yeah. Um, huh. And he, he didn't grow up with the Clash of the Titans original. He didn't really know what to do with it. And so uh, Louis Leterrier yeah. um, calls him, like, I know what to do with it. And so he passes it on to him. Make it a bad. Yeah, make it, make it sheet. Yeah. Uh, Blow its cast with every fucking big name actor for everything and make it like a bad PG-13 God of War adaptation, yeah. basically. 2008, he's attached to do a reboot of The Crow. 
out. Yeah. I mm. mean, a, a lot of people were. Yeah. But he was still are. Yeah, still are. Uh, and yeah, and then 2010, he was uh, going to direct something called Lost Patro- The Lost Patrol. Uh, but that was, that's really it. But like he, he got the keys to the kingdom and he yep. was like, no, I'm good. Hey, so, some of them were pulled away from because of league underperforming. And then others, he was just like, I I think I'd rather just uh, play with my little uh, effects. Toys. Yeah, and which he's yeah. done on a few things. I mean, yeah. he continues to be a special effects guy. He hasn't done anything recently, but I mean, I, I think the guy can probably rest on his laurels and call it a day. I mean, at the sake of his integrity. What's crazy is, for, creatively, forget about all that, Snipes and Dorf you would think this would be the launch pad for like, they can do whatever they want. This is kind of it. I mean, this is Snipes really only does blade. He, the only uh, big ones. I mean, he does the art yeah. of war with Diane Lane, which uh, that's not, that's murder at 1600. He does like two sort of semi high profile, you know, $50 million budget action movies, but they're more like suspense, political thrillers. He does two of those. And then he does the, the next two blade movies. And until like 2007, He's in like straight to video stuff. I mean, he's in Undisputed and he has tax problems. And that's what he's known for for that decade, basically, yeah. is I have got a lot of fucking problems with the IRS. Uh, and now he has had kind of a minor comeback with Dolomite, which he's great in. But I mean, he did Coming to America too, and that's basically it. And uh, wasn't he in that um, The Four, Blo- Four Bloods, was it called? I don't think he's in Four Bloods. Is he not? Five Bloods. Five Bloods. Yeah, no, I don't think he's not. He's not. If he's in that, I don't recall him in that. But oh no, you're right. He was. He was in something else. He had a banging like '90s career, though. I mean, really, like everything he's in was just like this made money. This did well. It's well received. Dorf, same thing. Dorf's a child actor. He was kind of like, kind of like Christian Bell. I mean, he won a lot of awards for like most promising young actor. He's in The Power of One with Morgan Freeman in 92 and John Gilgood. I mean, this guy is all over the place. He's doing accents. He's doing good work. Um, and then he gets this and basically kind of like becomes becomes a face. He becomes something that mm-hmm. everyone can identify with. It's a pretty outstanding performance. I know you have your gripes, but I think there's a lot of layers to what he's actually doing there that aren't bad. I don't have specific gripes like with him specifically. The like it's yeah, it's more so the writing. Like you know, you can only do so much with what you're given, sure. right? Like not that he made me dislike him, and like you know, he's a villain, so like no. he succeeded, right? I, th- I think it's I think it's pretty interesting what they did. But after this, I mean, there's really not much. And in fact, not only is there not much it's downright bad i mean he does the uv bowl uh alone in the dark movie and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a lot of straight to video shit continues to do that now he was in he's on true detective season, season three, three and he's outstanding and he's in very it. good in that he's yeah. very good and he's with uh, mahersala ali who's gonna be blade at some point in the next mm-hmm. 20 years um <laughs> but no dwarf can act i think he's one of those guys though that like may be difficult to work with um, I mean, he was in a Limp Biscuit music video, and then he's in he's in two Britney Spears videos. Holy and shit! He I, I remember he had a um uh, got good taste. He had the blue the blue cigarette the e cigarette contract or something, and they caught him smoking a cig, and he lost that. And oh, basically, he, he yeah he's just had the kind of a rough go. But he's not a bad actor or anything. He just he he can't say no to anything, right? So well, so so how do you feel like Blade overall? We think. Oh, I mean, I've seen this probably 30, 40 times now. Yeah, I yeah. mean, we, we, I, we had this on VHS in like 99 and fuck anyone who's like, not only, not, not, not just like I haven't seen it, but like, oh, I've only seen it three times. Like, oh, we got to put that on right now. Then, I mean, this, this was, this tape was played out. It rules. It fucking rocks. It, it's yeah. a sick movie. It's solid. Well, 
What right. do you think? <laughs> that it? Yeah, I think it's more than enough, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's go for another hour. This is going to be the episode called Blade Plus Extra. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bonus features. Blade 2, but not like right. sequel, but also. Yeah. <laughs> Blade also. Yeah. All right, are we done? Yep, we're done. All right, change it. The Super Soaker 100. It's a water gun of a higher caliber. What do you have in your pocket? Monster in my pocket. They're here. They're everywhere. They're squishy. Monster in my pocket. New from Matchbox. Ruthless spies, evil minions. One team shut them down. Grace, Johnny, Hang on. Dr. Quest, and Bandit. The total package. The real adventures of Johnny Quest today at 5.30. Only to Nami. So the boys, the boys are back. We all got sodi pops. We're ready to talk about Johnny Quest, right? I guess. Eh, whatever. Go ahead. Uh, who's gonna launch us off here? Well, I'll fucking say it because it's been a long ass time since I've seen Johnny Quest. Same, yeah. But yeah, man, not really specific to like the episode or anything like that because it's you know it's all generic. First, Just, which episode did we watch? We watched Johnny season Quest? two, episode twenty-seven, "The Robot Spies." It's like the second to last episode of the entire run. I think it's twenty-five. Series. Well, it's, I think it's twenty-seven. I don't know what it's it is. Se- it is second to last of the yeah. series. It's though. giant robot like three like spider mechanical things <laughs> blowing shit up and yeah. chasing yeah. people uh, and shooting and destroying yeah. everything so, until they need to shoot somebody. So. It's Johnny Quest. It's a little just slice of him palling around, or more so, really his dad in this one. And yeah, it's definitely more centered on his dad and race uh-huh. and his ex-wife and all that. Haji's not in this episode yeah, no. at all. Yeah, I don't know not. what's going on in the show. I don't know what happened to him. At, right. Maybe he left at some point in the show. I, I can't recall. I mean, I'm sure he's back for the finale or whatever. But basically what happens throughout the episode is... Johnny and he he's at the house and it gets attacked while his dad and race are gone and they come back and the house is destroyed it's been uh, attacked by these giant robotic like spider like creatures yeah which is actually a, they were they were in the original run I remember like when I would watch Cartoon Network and stuff they would show like little clips of Johnny Quest the original mm-hmm. 60s run which I was not around to see, so don't fucking make that I joke. didn't even say it, I Mike. Can see, I can I see that yourself. twinkle in your eye. That's fine. I, I, I took the power away from you. So <laughs> That twinkle in my eye is love. <laughs> Lust to some. It's but actually a tumor. Basically, like, Dr. Zen, who's the bad guy in this, I guess he's like one of the arch nemesis or whatever. I don't really right, remember that yeah, much. He had these giant spider, like, bipedal robot things. Um Attack their house. In the original run. And yeah. then they kind of retread that in this episode, I guess, because it's kind of like a throwback. Uh, but yeah, they attack the house and they take... Capturing uh, his son. Uh, him Captain and Jesse. They're, they, yeah. they're a little bit like the War of the Worlds things, the way they yeah, take them they up are. Into, you know, into their chamber. Yeah. yeah, And everything is centered around this kind of like uh, they uh, Egyptian um, idols or artifacts, right, within this yeah. temple. Some like artifacts that... Uh, when combined with another, yeah, do that right into the mic. Thanks. Uh, oh God, oh, I tasted there's salsa with that one on the back. Dude. God, oh, I can smell. No, it. keep talking about Johnny Quest. That's, yeah, that's good. 
<laughs> That's what uh, everyone's here for. Yeah, yeah. Combined with one yeah. other artifact, they mind control. They they, they mind, mind control. control people, right? They steal an artifact from one guy to get the the, the girl on board, his ex wife or whatever, right? Or, yeah. No, no, no. This is the the thief. Jade. Yeah. There you go. Oh, Jade. yeah, Jade. Um, yeah. They they kind, kind of unchartedy there too. Yeah, like, they, yeah they they do a little stealing from a bad guy to attack another bad guy. Set yeah, up. They they just wake him up in the middle of the night and like, <laughs> where are the kids? And like, what are you doing here? Yeah. And while they're messing with are you with in him, my she, house? She sneaks off and robs him. Yeah. <laughs> Completely silent, by the way, moving stone shelves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't make that noise, but. <laughs> But anyway, they they managed to like Scooby Doo their way away from uh, this guy, and they go and they deal with like Doctor Zen and everything. And what the the plot of the show and everything doesn't really matter. I, I mean, have no fucking clue what was going on, and I loved this show when I was young. I have did, no clue what exactly, was happening. The point That's of funny. it is, it's just a little slice of an adventurous kid. Just having to it's interact scrappy. with some of the da- most dangerous situations mm-hmm. ever, yeah. uh, like blockbuster cinematic experience, like AAA game transformer shit. Yeah, I'm waiting now. for like quick time events, like help Johnny jump out of the way. Yeah, and why haven't like, they made a vi- have they made a video game of it yet? I'm uh, there was sure a there's PC been PC game. Yeah. But, like that, yeah. yeah. It was based but, on the show. I think it was for PC, like in '97 or something. Uh, but but of re- course they they come into contact with Doctor Zen and everything, and he's he's got uh, race and his dad like with the mind control and everything, and they try to um, they they bust him out of the mind control, of course, and it, later he runs away and Johnny's dad runs after him and they get shut off from everybody and they got to deal with these spiders. But what, one thing that I do specifically just want to mention that happens in this episode is Johnny quest and the, the, his ex-wife at the redheaded girl, Jesse. Yeah. I, I keep forgetting the name. Um, it's a shit name. <laughs> <laughs> they, they 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 run up these stairs within these ruins oh, or yeah, whatever, yeah. and the spiders are chasing them. Yeah, they're like they're like it's too steep, it's too narrow yeah. for the spiders and to come up. They, they just start coming right up. Shove yeah. a what has to be multi-ton oh, stone statue yeah, off of this platform. It's, it's like it the Washington bit. Monument. They they push that down. Well, the gravity will take its course. Dude, it happened, and I was like. Is Johnny yoked? Is he just John, Johnny's falling? a blood guy. Actually, Jesse is the one that's yoked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're sitting there. They are just shoving this thing down, and they bust up one of these robots. I think they yeah. shove another one yeah. and, and kill another robot or whatever. But, but really, what happens in this, of course they all escape. They deal with the robots. They get rid of the mind control. Doctor so people Sin. definitely die. <laughs> yes, yeah. but it's ne- like the thing that I noticed about this show uh, and I'm, I'm sure it's it's prevalent in a lot of like you know teenage or children's shows or anything yeah, yeah, from young that time shows, yeah. And even right now, like I'm sure it's true to this day. Once you understand that, like there's no real danger for the main characters. Like there's really no danger. Every time a robot shoots at Johnny and etc., or every time something like drastic is about to happen, buildings collapsing, whatever it may be, 
they're not really ever in any danger. Houses blowing up. It doesn't matter because when they shoot at them, they're shooting ground. Guys with guns shooting ground. Never making contact. No one's ever really it's getting It's kind of a hurt. bummer their their house is burned down in the episode, though. They are they are homeless, I guess. Or do they have another mansion laying around? I'm sure. Yeah, I think they got like 17 of them. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what I do like, though, in the uh, this specific adventures of johnny quest i mean just the whole run of the show was i used to watch it when i was 11 we had finally gotten cable and i would come home uh with my buddy james who i just met i mean not met but who i got really friendly with that year because i was going to like basically a, a junior high, high that was like dangerous minds i mean like legit like when i saw dangerous minds in 95 i was like oh it's a fucking documentary about that school i went to i mean it was a tough ass school and James was a few years older than me, and he kind of looked out for me because he had been going there for a while. So we'd go home every day, and we would watch this because I had just gotten cable, and Cartoon Network was kind of a new thing to me. And what I liked about Johnny Quest was it reminded me of Gargoyles a little bit and that the first episode of Gargoyles, you see uh, whoever the main one is break a dude's fucking neck. He breaks like a mugger's neck and kills him. And I'm like, whoa, shit, this is not Batman the Animated Series. Like, they're killing people in this. <laughs> And Johnny Quest, I mean, typically there were body counts in those episodes. This was not like for babies. But I, I get that Johnny and all of them, they're never like any real never, mortal Because you're how deep into the series, right? And oh, yeah. it's still him, his dad, Race, just palling around, dealing with world-ending calamities. And, sorry, and the dog. Yeah. <laughs> That's a show that they just bring that. It's a tiny dog, too. It's not right, like bandit. It's not like a Doberman. Yeah, bandit. Yeah. They are but just, yeah, there's never any real. The, but I, I do like there's a, there's a pretty Barbera high thing. high body yeah. counts though each episode. Yeah, I mean typically it, it's it's a pretty. I mean it's not like I don't know it's not like violent or anything, but there's blood here and there. But right, but it it feels like it's more violent than something like GI Joe, which is like a literal military esque, you know, where, where no one dies. Yeah. Like, where no, no one actually one, gets shot. Everyone's yeah. got a gun. Every, everyone built like, uh, what was the episode about? We laid down seven <sighs> planks of wood and made a bridge. G I Joe. Yeah. Like, and then meanwhile, Johnny quest is like, that guy got crushed. Yeah. yeah monsters <laughs> killed that guy. Yeah. Um, I, I tried picking an episode where like, the VR was in it. So when I was trying to find like a nice clean file, everything was so pixelated and fucked up. And then I saw there was a little bit of VR, but it's not until the very end of the episode. Right. And it's like a little extra vignette type of thing. It's not actually pertinent to any of the plot of this episode. And that does not hold up well. No, at it's all. Uh, <laughs> it's that late nineties CG. Reboot it's slightly better than reboot, slightly but not better. much. Yeah, I mean, it's probably on par with like whatever the the tsunami space. Yeah, guy. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But yeah. You, but you know what does what does kind of hold up for me is the way that it is animated, and what I mean by that is like the shots and like the uh, explosiveness of like each scene comparatively to like a modern cartoon or something like that. Yeah. And this is really true to me for like all of them, like G.I. Joe, X-Men, you know, pick one. It doesn't really matter, but they're all kind of like the same thing. Everything is like, there's still camera, like no, not a whole lot going yeah. on in like the background. And it's just main characters just like saying something and like lowly animating about like whatever it is they're yeah, speaking the about or really fighting about is their mouth right and, and or like, like their and limbs like if it's something actiony yeah, right? yeah. They, they but move a little bit 
And like maybe it, it saves a lot of time when you're animating for a television. Sure, show. and and of course I'm sure it's just a limitation of the time, and that's why like you know they're doing a lot of these like it, it's the same thing as like Dragon Ball Z, right? Where like you just have 17 shots of a guy swinging at a POV, and it's the same thing. You just reuse that shot 17 times yeah. throughout an uh, an episode for like 30 minutes of right. casting one thing. But that to me kind of like. Is it just kind of like sits? It's it's probably right. It's because I grew up with it, but it kind of sits better with me than like modern cartoons where like everything is like wacky and loud constantly. It's like someone screams and the background is doing like wavy, like psychedelic shit. In you know, it's just like really from like two thousands on, right? Where it gets like just hyper, like a stimulating. Yeah, the, the screen is filled with look at this, look at this. Right, and there's just shit going on yeah. on the screen constantly. And what I see with, like, Johnny Quest and stuff is, like, even in, like, a, a, a chase scene where, like, there's a line of jeeps filled with soldiers and they're running away from the robots, the brightest thing on the screen and the most animated thing on the screen is, like, robots shooting a red laser that just dissipates into the ground. Like, that's, that's the height of it, right? Yeah, well, cartoons then are also, like pretty desaturated color wise too you know there there wasn't a lot of like sure it just it just kind of like resonates a little bit more with me and i like that style i do too of animation i do too too. yeah i mean i don't like the stiff stiffness uh, sure of the animations but i do like the color palette uh more I like yeah it like it's really while, accessible yeah while yeah. it is like very cartoony and everything it still has that type of it's almost like well I don't want to say that but I mean I guess kind of like uh, film versus digital kind of look you know when yeah something's yeah. got a more yeah, filmic yeah. look to I, I it got, I got what you're saying yeah when it, I, it, it's I don't want to I'm not trying to get into that conversation no no but no but it, it, there's a certain aesthetic to it it's, like, it's, it's a more textured color absolutely yeah more textured color whereas now there's a lot of like this was very much made in a, a computer with, in photoshop or something yeah but yeah it looks good i mean you're right like the, the with much different lighting and the juxtaposed between that and the actual vr stuff which back then was like the highlight looks like shit now Right. Not, right. not hold right. up right. at all. Right. So I'm glad we didn't actually have a centered episode on the VR stuff. Which man, that VR stuff—they were really pushing that shit back then. Like, oh yeah, it was going to be the next big thing. It right? really was. And I mean, fuck, we're just now kind of sort of getting there, but there's still a lot of wires and stuff. Unless you, you know, basically have a million bucks in the bank. So they were they were pushing that shit with like Lawnmower Man though, and even like that Hideaway Jeff Goldblum movie. Um, fuck. Uh, what was the one uh, ghost in the machine? There were all like these sort of um, like psychosexual suspenseful, like uh, cyber crime movies back then. And even mm-hmm. the reboots, there was like a lot of Canadian TV that was trying to incorporate that stuff. It all looked really, really bad, but man, that shit was cutting edge Any, back then. Anything with like virtual, like interfaces and everything. I mean, fuck, we just talked about blade and there's the entire software component element where it like yeah. animates deciphering like oh, yeah. cryptic messages and like animating this entire like big model of the ruins. And they show that so many times. They show times. it so many times and yeah. it really like what this would be like decoding something. It'd be like a fucking dot exe running right. on your desktop. It looks yes. like file explorer. You, you know no what's funny is it, there's like this whole escapist fantasy of like well I can go into another world and have complete mobility and do anything. 
you know what does finally get it right but doesn't rely on these conventions of like basically making you know sort of an expensive animated outlet for it mm-hmm. is the matrix matrix in 99 is like basically you plug in and you can do anything you want and you have the safety and the confines of this thing i mean when you're in the actual matrix i guess if you die you die but they have all these training programs and different things you can do that they basically kind of show and then hint at with other things that's how they basically nailed virtual reality uh, as an idea was the matrix by making it live action because there's yeah. there's no way to timelessly show it not look like shit because boy does it look like shit but the actual the animation you're right it's nice crisp lines I mean it, it does look good and Johnny Quest had a fucking banger of a voice cast not in the second season I, I wasn't really sure about all of that exactly till I looked it up but the first season I mean race is um. Grace Bannon is Robert Patrick, the guy who played the T-1000, hmm. who I guess left the show to do Copland, the James Mangold thing, with De Niro and uh, Stallone and Ray Liotta and all these other guys. I mean, he got an opportunity to be in a big fucking like ensemble drama. And then uh, George Segal was originally Dr. Quest, and George Segal goes back to the 50s and 60s, and he landed Just Shoot Me, that uh, NBC drama with David Spade. So he was done with that. Quentin Flynn um, did a lot of Johnny Quest voice. And Jesse was, um, oh God, what's her name? Um, I can't remember her fucking name, but she she's also a voice in Metal Gear Solid 2 with uh, Quentin Flynn, who does Ryden's voice. Before that, it was a guy named J.D. Roth. J.D. Roth, I didn't know that he did any of Johnny Quest, but he did the first season. And J.D. Roth was this guy that was the host of Game Pro TV. Game Pro was a magazine, like one of the premier gaming magazines in the 90s, but he had this show called Game Pro TV where basically he would come on and be like, hey kids, here's some cheat codes for Contra, or here's some some Battletoad tips and tricks. And it was him and this other guy that was like Cody from Step by Step. It was like this stoner, like, oh, hey, dude, totally far out. Give me some of those Battletoad tips, bro. But basically, he was so awful. Can we watch this show? Uh, we, we can watch Game Pro TV. But J.D. Roth was like a pretty charismatic, like 16-year-old kid or something. And he went on to do a lot of other shit. But he went on to do the voice of Johnny Quest. I didn't know that. Hmm. So, yeah, he kind of had like a loaded like kids entertainment 90s. And then I think he's mainly like an executive producer on like reality TV and shit now. But, yeah. I, th- I think uh, overall, like for Johnny Quest... I think it's still, other than the VR stuff, obviously, for, you know, apparent reasons, it's just, it just hits that old style of cartoon that I like. It's not Mm -hmm. super flashy. It's just kind of, like, muted and grounded and, like, yeah, the stuff that's happening is absolutely wild, but, like, it's it's a kid show, right? right? But it still feels fun to watch. It's fun to go back and, like, it just the feels episodes ca- kind of ended lightheartedly, right? It, um, honestly, like the, the end of this one ends with Jade being like, "Oh, that that uh, mind control device. Well, I got, I'd still have it." And then Johnny's like, "Oh, Jade, <laughs> yeah, yes. ha ha ha." Yeah. It's very, yeah. It ends on that, but I will say, like, like a lot of people died. It, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people died, just, and you have one of the most dangerous things on the planet. <laughs> oh, right? Yeah, right. you are and a you're, card, and you're joking about selling it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, but but you know the show feels comfy. It does, it does. and I, I will say we haven't talked about it at all. There's one highlight of this show. 
What a fucking awesome opening song, man. Oh, yeah. 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 I was wondering that, when we were going that. Go song that. is up there with like well, the just X-Men like, animated series. I mean, you don't skip it. Like if you no. if, if you had this on streaming and the option said like skip intro in the bottom right, fuck that, man. Do not skip this. It is a banger. The opening in general is just very memorable. It's It doesn't look great today, but no. I mean, it's still like... You remember the fucking uh, mount, mount? It's a slideshow, basically. Show. Yeah, yeah, slideshow stuff. It's really, re- it's it really, really cool. Good. It shows like some really great scenes, I guess, like some of the highlights of the show. It yeah. gives you an idea of like the spectacle so. you're in store for. Mm-hmm. But yeah, great opening theme. I mean, it really works on a lot of levels to get you pumped up for it. Yeah. What do you yeah. think, Garrett? No, it's a uh, yeah, it's a fun show. It's yeah. uh yeah, it's it's fun. It's got that old well, everything. I agree with that you guys said. Yeah. All right, good? Yeah. All right, change it. Time to head on home. Said that to his son. As soon as my fruit by the foot is done. Nicholas Cage, Meg Ryan, City of Angels. Okay. Are you going to play us in? Yeah, I'm going to play us in. I got to tell you, yeah. real quick, yeah. you're fucking handsome with that guitar in I, your hands. I know, yeah. It's it like a fucking sissy to me. Yeah. Hit it. It's a wonder how I get so much pussy. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, anyway, here's we'll Iris. We'll, we'll cut that part out. You don't have to. <laughs> right. we'll, we'll just put a picture of you on the episode. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you can say whatever you want. They'll know. Yeah, yeah. They'll get it. They'll get it. All right. Cause I know that you feel me somehow. I'm in love. You're the closest He's looking right at to me. heaven that I'll ever be. And I don't wanna go home right now. Fuck, I'm teary eyed. All yeah. I can taste is this moment. <laughs> Look at him. And all I can breathe is your life. This table just got closer. <laughs> Sooner or later, it's over. Mike's blushing. I don't That was a choice. <laughs> that they'd I don't understand a fucking thing about I'm, you. I'm confused about a lot of things right now. That guitar should be broken. <laughs> oh shit! I knocked my fucking belt. Uh, anyways, uh, are, we, are we rolling on, on the rehearsal? <laughs> Hold on, hold on. I fucking dude. That went off. Do you want to do another one just just so we have to in case you? No, that was great, dude. What are you talking about? I thought, dude, I nailed that. Yeah, actually, actually, Mike was joking. You didn't, (laughs) dude. My fucking filter is so fucked up. I I I knocked it off. I was laughing so fucking hard. <laughs> so, hey Gary, what uh, what song are we? Covering? Yeah, what song was that? God. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm actually asking. I know what song we were supposed to do. What song was that? <laughs> it was a beautiful song. I was talking. About, about. I got one. How about uh, how about um, yeah, got what song do you think it was? And all I can taste are these gushes. <laughs> and all I can breathe is 
this Mountain Dew. Oh, it's good. He's good. And sooner or later, we'll go get pizza, maybe some hot wings. I just don't want to do a podcast right now. Yeah, you could have. You could have said, you. "Don't want to do, do a podcast podcast with you." you. See, we were, we no, he hell. says right now in the song, so I was going with that. All right, whatever. So, so I go uh, with the way songs are written. You that, just kind of do your own thing. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, musically too. Yeah, yeah. musically. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, guitar should be broken. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it! Yeah, man. So funny. He got so embarrassed. He's so mad. He's yeah. so scared too. He got so, he's sweating. All right. <laughs> Mike just spit out that Mountain Dew. Hey, don't get it on the mic. Yeah, you don't be able to that, that was water. <laughs> oh shit! This is. I thought that was milk. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? He picks up uh, his. All right. All right, so uh, if you couldn't tell, we are covering. Uh, hold on, what's my level? Is that we are covering Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. Uh, the That's right. That. Yes, mm-hmm. by the Goo Goo Dolls. Um, so um, now, to, uh, but before before you get into yeah yeah no, but, because I know you've got you've got actual content yeah to, I've got a little bit to contribute oh, to oh, this. Oh, Garrett did a lot of research for this. <laughs> He, you might say he overextended himself on the amount of you research he did. You might say Mike's about to drag the fuck out of me in this episode. <laughs> oh Let me tell you, I I don't got much, but we're not, I like the song. Uh, it's a, it's a decent song. It's, it's obviously no Brian Adams, but it's a song. <laughs> it's 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 a good song, and I enjoy yeah. listening to it. But we're talking about the music video, yeah. And man. This shit shit looks straight out of a Final Fantasy video game. If this man's boots were any bigger and that leather jacket was any redder, I was expecting him to pull a fucking... I'm definitely (laughs) going to talk about the the song first. Uh, Yeah. yeah, I was expecting him to pull out a keyblade and start (laughs) start strumming that and that fucking overpass or whatever. There's no room for it up there with all those fucking telescopes. (laughs) Do the song first. I want to go into it because I watched it this morning and I had some fucking revelations. Yeah, I know. I, go, I go, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, Talk so, about Cloud for us. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm going to start uh, ways before they actually write the song. Um, when Goo Goo Dolls, like through the 80s, they were uh, a much different sounding band. They were more of a, uh, they had a harder sound, but it was more of just like a an 80s punk band sound is what they were no- known really? for. Yeah. That's, so it's, it's kind of like Soul Asylum, you know, the runaway train. And they actually did like a lot of like hard punk kind of shit yeah like before everyone, everyone they were for that. before they were mainstream oh. they were something they were a lot they had a lot harder sound and then in the 90, same name uh, yeah and then 95 oh. i believe uh they'd already done four four albums four full albums by that point and then on their fifth album a boy named goo uh there's a song on it called name uh which that is the first one of theirs to be a true hit and to really connect with a yeah. much wider audience uh it's a huge hit and uh, uh i guess it it's number one probably uh at some point or it's at least in the top 10 for a while on the on the charts um and it gets them a whole different kind of fan base and it also at the same time alienates some of their core audience that sure. consider them sellouts Chugros. because now they've written like a rock ballad or something <laughs> 
<laughs> Did you say chocobos? Yeah. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? I was just thinking that. That's that's the one Final Fantasy reference Mike's that's got loaded. Got. He just yeah. and you chocobos. used it there. Nice. Okay. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. So and they consider them sellouts at that point. Um, but the regardless, they you know have a much more wider appeal now. And then flash forward to like '97, I guess. And they've had some other albums come out. And, however, uh, Johnny Resnick, frontman for the Goo Goo Dolls. Nails. Did the Social Network soundtrack. Mm-hmm. He's, making a, he's making a jokey what joke. What are you talking about? No, I'm not. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's no, go ahead. Get, get through it. Go ahead. Yeah. Go, go, go. Um, God damn it. You just... That joke I is so want to watch City of Angels. We're not there yet. 90, 97. 97. 97. Johnny, uh, Johnny Resnick... <laughs> Is dealing with a lot of major writer's block. Um, so he does the Doom soundtrack. Doom yes, 3. he does it. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so we're never going to get through no, it. go ahead. Yeah. Can hey. you leave the room? And I'll just hey, tell The floor is yours, bud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, he's also dealing with a lot of anxiety about name uh, and, the, and considering, like, they've never had a hit since name. And he's wondering if they're ever going to have another hit or another success like that. So it's just got him clogged up creatively, and he can't really get anything written down. And then he gets a call from a studio, uh, says they're gonna, they've got a movie called City of Angels, starring Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan. Can I do it now? Huh? Can I do it now? (laughs) (laughs) Let me finish my sentence. (laughs) I feel like you cued me. Okay. And they ask, and then they ask Johnny Resnick if he can write a song. Now you can do it. And so the song is like. I wanna watch City of Angels. Better than better than do. I wanna see Nick Cage and Meg Ryan. I wanna watch City of Angels. You get me closer to Pod. Like podcast. Is that gonna be your last Nine Inch Nails show? Holy shit! I am. Not happy. We took that detour. That's okay. Yeah, that's I'm not. I, I, got, I got more. I, got I didn't more. know that's where that was going. I, I, I have know. another Mountain really. Dew. You'll get better, dude. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Like, go ahead. You, go you ahead. get weird when you don't have enough Mountain you Dew. Do, you're doing good. Go ahead. My yeah. Mountain Dew levels are low. Go ahead. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> uh, and so he, uh, it's Sea of Angels, a movie about Nicolas Cage is an angel who uh, is assigned to give up his immortality to be with a girl. And so Johnny Resnick goes, he sees this movie, doesn't really think much of the movie. Um, It's also based on a much better movie called Wings of Desire, which he also sees and uh, just kind of likes the idea of someone giving up eternal life for love. Um, And so he goes back home and he's like, fuck it, whatever. I, I just need to write something. I'll take this project. It's like a writing prompt. I just need something to get the creative gears going. So if, as long as I write something, I will have written it. it. Might be trash, but it might be decent. And so he goes ahead. He sits down and he writes a song for this project. Uh, at the same time, he's also going through a really nasty divorce and has moved into a new home. So he's got all. And that, now is that the a, telescope a, a tower? tower full of telescopes? Yeah, God damn it! <laughs> God damn it! Jeez, <laughs> man! Nice, they give me a kiss. <laughs> Ooh, I like, I don't yeah. like this. I owe you a few. It's okay. Go, Go ahead. ahead. Yeah. So he writes this song, uh, and it's a huge hit. It, uh, it's and it's a 
much bigger hit than name and it puts them and they knew where name put them on like a mainstream recognition level uh iris puts them in like a whole different stratosphere as far as like what kind of recognition they get and and getting more uh a larger fan base they further alienate more their existing yeah yeah. there's like you've written two rock ballads and you're just catering to this why don't you slide yeah baby's black balloon makes it a fly it's all shit like that yeah and then they disappear basically yeah well i mean they still play yeah they still play but they're they're kind of like bush where like you don't really hear about them anymore but they're still like they're still like a live band yes and they still uh, like a i think a new album came out last year or something yeah yeah, so they're still around, but you know he's he's not chasing that hit anymore. He's not. He's like, I've watched some recent recent interviews with uh, uh, Resnick, and he's like, you know, I any musician would be happy to have two songs like that. So Iris and Closer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. They are very different sounding. I can understand why that would isolate some people that yeah. like the early work. Mm-hmm. But but nonetheless, like yeah, this song was fucking everywhere, yes, and it God. is yes. it, it, like even if you don't a, even if you don't like the Goo Goo Dolls, they've never been in my fucking rotation. But I know this song. I know most of the words yeah. that get screamed through I've that telescope. Never been in my rotation, but I have a poster over my bed. I mean, <laughs> you know, like every video. night, every night I look out it's, at my telescope and I see his face. It's, yeah. uh, I should call Resnick him. riding a chocobo. So this song was never <laughs> actually like number one on the billboards hot 100s uh charts or whatever yeah because at the time there was going they were going through a transitional phase on the charts where um they they were part the song was part was one of the singles on the sea of angels soundtrack and uh studios if i remember this right studios didn't want to uh just sell their singles they wanted to play them on the radio so people would actually buy the soundtrack so they didn't sell them as singles right um makes sense but to be on the uh to be on the charts you had at that time you had to sell uh you had to be a song that was sold right you had to be uh you had to sell your singles so they were playing them on the radio all the time yeah and it was getting played all the fucking time oh i remember but it never actually was eligible to be on the charts until like that next year when they changed the rules and you and uh, it was based more on the popularity. They terminated that rule that meant they couldn't. And it was several, it was like nine months after the release of that, of that song. And they were still number nine on the list on on the billboards hot 100 list. So everyone was like, well, clearly uh, if they, if that rule was not in existence when the song came out, they would have been number one easily. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That, that song was played everywhere. Yeah, um, it was played everywhere, and this music video, he rolls around in that tower everywhere dude, on that shitty little it, chair, I, dude. I, I, it's I, a I, it's a strange looking chair. It's not like a nor. It's got these this wide base of wheels. It's, dude, it's not. It doesn't so, look comfortable. Listen, no. so when I listen, I was I was thirteen when this came out. So when I this video would come on, which was constant on MTV or VH1 or whatever. Half of that video is just clips from City of Angels, and it's Nick Cage like gallivanting down the street in a stupid angel trench coat and all that stuff. So when I turned it on this morning to watch it last second before we recorded, I'm looking for that, and I'm watching the video, and like a minute goes by, and it's just 
this dude who's playing in front of like an expressway entrance or something. And then he's up in this tower rolling around with all these fucking telescopes. I'm like, where where are the clips? Where's the City of Angels stuff? There's like nine telescopes. He looks at There's three. There's so many. <laughs> yeah. And there are no clips. And I'm like, well, the, the song doesn't get shorter because there aren't City of Angels clips. So what happens with the video? And it's like more telescopes, more more Holland Tunnel entrance Yeah, they shot. cut back to that tunnel a lot. They do a little bit more with the band, but it's mostly the tunnel. And but the what, what's crazy the is there were shots that I definitely hadn't seen before because, man, he's really peeping through those telescopes. Yeah. But all of a sudden, there's just one shot where, look, he has like, like a pirate spyglass. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's not going to do anything better than those, like, steampunk fucking airship telescopes you've got set up. And then, look, like, 30 more seconds go by, and all of a sudden you just see him, like, lean back in a chair with a pair of binoculars, like, he, he got from, like, Dick's Sporting Goods. <laughs> and it's like, what, 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 is the, what do you need the binoculars for that these other things can't do? I don't understand. This is what they filled the shots with. Like, they told the prop guy... Go to a steampunk convention yeah. and get everything they've and those got. Those telescopes—they never fu- they broke constantly while they were filming. Well, I guarantee the budget for this video was probably a million dollars and a million fifty, a million dollars for the telescopes, forty for a fantastic Sam's haircut for the lead singer, <laughs> and like. $10 for a shitty chair from Goodwill? I well, mean, there were a few bucks thrown at the cosplay for the latest I, I, <laughs> Final well, Fantasy lead. There's definitely not for extras because the two guys, it's a static, blurry, filtered shot that are looking up at the tower. That's the basis in the drama. Correct. They, did, they didn't pay any extras. They were like, can you guys just stand here for a second? Because you're, you're the only other people in existence. They're wearing too. They're supposed to be angels. I guess. Okay. And, oh, uh, and, right. and the shots of the tunnel... Most of the time, they're wearing, like, whatever their clothes are for that band shot. But there were two, like, blink-and-you-miss-it shots where all of a sudden they're wearing trench coats. And, it's and they've like, all got buster swords. I wish not. <laughs> Yeah, all of a sudden their guitars turn into like a keyblade. Yeah, it is. Yeah. They pull guy. a sword out and it's a telescope. <laughs> with, with a hilt. You uh, keep waiting for Goofy and Donald Duck God to pop man. up and be like, gee, that sure is a silly great ass weapon. video without like all those City of Angels cuts. Because now it's just two minutes and 47 seconds or whatever the fuck it is. Of a guy throwing himself yeah. around a tower. And he's like, okay, but can you like throw your back over it? Like yeah. we just got water dumped You're all over you. Exasperated from all these telescopes. So really, yeah, do a do a flash dance move. You know what? While Garrett was playing guitar, me and Dalton were just silently rolling ourselves around this recording room, looking through telescopes. It was so distracting. <laughs> yeah, stand on your tippy toes on this one. I want you to really look yeah. through this do you one. Have a ledge I can lean off of dramatically. I want my hair to really blow gracefully. I, I think that was like they were trying to do. See if angels sing. Of yeah, like, is he is. going to jump and fall to earth like the angels right. or what? I, I wish he would have. <laughs> <laughs> I just the the telescope element. I guess was just like lost on me. Like I, I don't know. It's just a goofy fucking video. Well, I, I guess it's like a guy that's sort of like isolated and off by himself, and he doesn't really want in, just anyone to see him. But this one chick. I mean, he he's yeah, solitary. Well, I think it's more. Yeah, it's it's that, but it's also like it is tied into the City of Angels concept of like it it's about these angels that just like appear and their whole job is just to silently observe people. Right? They okay. don't they don't interact, they just observe people. Now, how, they're not now, seen. Now you read the synopsis for City of Angels? I watched City of Angels last Did night. Did you? <laughs> oh, it's the first I'm hearing about it. <laughs> 
Go Go ahead. ahead. Mike texted me last night and was like, are you watching Blade? And I said, no, I've already seen it. I neglected to inform him. Because I I went home and made tacos and watched Blade on Friday night. And I'm like, that's a good Friday night, Blade and tacos. Gary, you must be watching Blade too, right? And he said, "Nah, man, I already did that shit." I was like, "Ah, he's probably just—he's probably doing some other stuff. He's probably like editing or something." I woke up this morning and called him, and I was asking about like, "What, what video did you watch?" Because man, I can't find the one with like Nick Cage. I could eat a pitch for hours. I, I couldn't find any of him. And he told me he watched City of Angels last night. I knew he watched Wings of Desire, which I'm like, that's a good fucking movie. I mean, you can find that on Criterion or whatever. <clears throat> did you rent this or did you buy this or did you get I, it? All, did you get a still book? I rented this for $4. You, you paid for this? You rented City of Angels? <laughs> I paid $4 to watch City of Angels. You which it? It's not a bad movie, but... You could have went to Fantastic not. Sam's for $4. You, I could have gone to Fantastic Sam's yeah. for $4, but it is a strange fucking movie. Uh, but we're not here to talk like about how erotic it. But it is? that might come up on our list. I don't know. Maybe you omitted it. But City. Uh, oh no, it's on there. Yeah. So I don't want to talk too much about it. But because it's definitely coming up in the next 840 episodes. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Guys, I'm, ve- I'm vetoing in. City of Angels just so we don't have to cover this fucking song again. Yeah. But I mean. What were we talking about? <laughs> Look, I we're talking I, about you and your Friday night viewing habits. Yeah, so I I did watch this. I did. Hey, I did my fucking homework here. Okay, you, you really went out of your way. You were that kid that raised your hand. You were like, um, we you didn't assign us any homework though. <laughs> Everyone just glares at you. Look, you fucking rats. You think? Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, uh, say three nice things about Nicolas Cage. No, oh, Nicolas Cage is the worst part of the movie. That's not a nice thing. That's that's <laughs> negative one. Okay, that's kind of right. rude. Uh, he uh-huh. he, yeah, you you see his his thing at one point. What in the thing? Movie. It's it, called a peepee, Gary. Yeah, you see his peepee. Do you see his? You did. It's a PG thirteen movie, and you see a you little, see prick in that. You see the head of his prick. What? When he's taking a shower, and it's like. He doesn't understand temperatures, and so it's way too fucking hot. And he sets back, and there's a wide shot when he sets back, and you see a little bit, of, a little bit of ding dong. You don't see any he, shaft. Yeah, that, that you see head, maybe a little shaft. You see any balls or anything? No, you don't see any balls. It's, yeah. it's profile. It's Garrett's never cell. seen balls and shaft how long, in his how entire long life. Rentals, how long did Reynolds last? Uh, <laughs> 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 no, I'm just asking. I just in case I rent something. Yeah, was, uh, you know. Because I read something, you know, a guy would watch. Like, Forty-eight like, hours. You know, but yeah. when we were when we were talking about this song, uh, I do yeah. want to talk about this song. Yeah, we're, 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 <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the what song. song? <laughs> when Mike and I were talking about this song just for a minute the other day, and after we were done ragging on how he looks and what he does in the video, we're talking about how this is a song that sits there and makes you think about somebody. Tifa's requiem, and then be. And then be under the selfish impression that, you know, they're probably thinking about me right now. Too. Oh, God. I wonder, yeah. Like, yeah. star-crossed oh lovers. Yeah. I was 13, and, like, <laughs> I'd be, like, listening to, like, rock. I'd be listening to fucking alternative shit in my room. And, like, you know, all of a sudden this would come on. Because this would come on everything. It'd come on, like, all the stations. Yeah. It, it didn't matter. It, it could literally be ACDC before this, and all of a sudden this song would come on. And I would stop whatever I was doing. I'd pause Grand Theft Auto or whatever I was doing, and I was like... I'm thinking about her. Yeah, it puts you inside your own head. I wonder if she's thinking about me while she's listening to the same song. (laughs) Yeah, I I went on vacation when I was uh, 14. I had met this girl in Florida and her family, and then I went the same summer to somewhere in the mountains with her and her family for like a week. And 
she liked me a lot as a friend, but she did not like me romantically because I was a fucking ghoul boy. <laughs> and I was a goon, man. And I remember I basically like lied and said that my girlfriend that I had back home had broken up with me and I was all like sad about it so I could get like couch cuddles and hand holding. But we were on the way back on the way back to like wherever they lived in um in Florida and the song came on and I'm like in a whole van full of her family and I went like, Oh God or whatever whatever noise I whimpered and she's like, What's the matter? And I'm like, This was our song And she held she listen, she held my hand and I knew like we got nine hours in this fucking van ride. This song is going to come on so much. I'm going to get pregged up by the end of this shit. <laughs> like, this fucking song. If every time this comes on, there's like a single tear roll, boy. <laughs> Mike's out here using the fucking Goo Goo Dolls Dude. as like sympathy. But, but I guess, look, the point is. You is, can't. I mean, it's not bad. You, you can fucking do it's, it. Uh, this is one you can get away with because, man, yeah. everyone, everyone's got a little bit of like. It's ooh. a song that makes people feel bad for you. Yeah, if it really is. If you're like, this is my song. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, I, I like it. A lot. Yeah, you feel a, bad about your fucking clothing choice. It's the most unoriginal, like "woe is me" fucking song. It, I mean, this is this predates emo in a lot of like mainstream ways. I think like this is basically this is like the seed being planted for emo shit later, which has done a lot cringier than this. But this is definitely like a, everyone can relate on some and level. You know, it's of, of lamenting and and uh, the loss of something. I mean, I, and after like watching City of Angels, though, it does give me more perspective. Like, yes, it, you can you can make it mean about like after watching personal... City of Angels, uh, it gives me more perspective. <laughs> a sentence time, uttered once. I will isolate in this that. Room. But uh, you can you can. I know. Now go ahead. Okay. I want to hear everything you have to say. Okay, but you can take the lyrics of the song and you can make it, you can interpret it however you want personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, literally, he wrote it from the perspective of Nicolas Cage, which makes it the song funny now. Uh, because, like, every every time you hear people talk about it and they always quote, quote their favorite lines from the chorus, like, I don't want the world to see me because I don't want them, I don't think they would understand. Yeah. And they're like, oh, that hits so hard. Yeah. And, you know, I would be like that, but I now mean, I'm like, Resnick? well, that's literally how the movie works. Yeah. He, Nicolas Cage doesn't want people to see him because then he, he doesn't understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, that's he doesn't understand funny. how a fucking shower works. Yeah. yeah. I don't want him to see that I'm a Morlock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's sitting there all this observation. You never yeah. understood how like basic plumbing and temperature goes. Well, no, that's like a huge thing I in the mean, movie. He's such a fucking alien when he finally he starts is. interacting with like human stuff. And I think Resnick He's like a baby. Resnick I mean, the guy's but like the song. He's is, been around a long time. He's, I mean, this isn't like his first song. I mean, no, like, like I, they he, were albums deep. Yeah, because I, I mean, he, he, I he wrote "I Want to Fuck You Like an Animal," and then he goes to City of Angels, and he's like, "I have to completely change oh my, my perspective." He's on, his, I'm, he's on this fucking Trent Reznor shit. <laughs> who is? I don't know who that is. We're talking about Reznick, Johnny Johnny Reznick, Johnny Cloud, or whatever his name is. <laughs> what, the 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 main guy from Final Fantasy three. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Final yeah. Fantasy three. Uh, yeah, but no, it, I mean, the song is still, I think, pretty, uh, it's, it, I think it's a very well-written song, though. Yeah, it is. Um, it's a song a lot of people would have liked to have written. But, you know, for even from the perce- perspective of Nicolas Cage, it's about, like, the essence of being human. You take a, you take the highs with the lows, and you have to accept the low parts, and, you know, it, it's about, you know, 
life can be fucking painful, but you give it all, you you take all that with all the high stuff. Yeah. Oh, no one's ever said it that way. Well, yeah, I'm the first one to say it. <laughs> I did not take that as a quote from uh, Johnny Resnick, uh, lead singer of Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, all right. That's Wait, it. is he really? <laughs> uh, I mean, I didn't really talk too much about, like, my count uh, because this is one of my favorite songs um and I, I listened to it a ton when i was like high school to early years of college and um you know especially when i was playing guitar i would play this and name a lot and name i actually like more than this um, same just by a little bit but it's uh, i mean those are some of my no. favorite fucking songs Na- names of Na- name is all right it, it is a, a lot better song. but like if i had to make a top 25 of songs i think both of them would be on there yeah probably um but yeah i, I would play this a lot and um i don't know like when you're a teenager and you find this song you're at you're feeling all emotions all the time. You resonate with it. Yeah, you are. You resonate to this kind of shit. You resonate with it. Fucking. Mm-hmm. Got to get one more in. Can you do one more before we finish? How long you got left? Uh, I don't know. I'll just ramble. You just. Oh yeah. I'll. Uh, yeah. All right. Locked and loaded. Ready. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, what was that laugh? That's my. That's my resonate that's a, laugh. A witch laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Looking riding a broom. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so no, good song. That's that's really all I got though. Yeah, it's a good song. It, it's good. It's good. But I like I like name better because when I listen to name, I'm just like that's a good song, intrinsically yes. a good song, and it's not embarrassing in any way to me. No, and then I hear this song, and it's like I just get hit with just like like some deep recessed <laughs> buried like. Oh God, I was such a weird little shit. <laughs> it makes you feel like main character of movie syndrome. Yeah, yeah. kind of, very much. Um, so. yeah. Yes, I mean yes. there are a lot, there are lines in there that are specifically speak to like depersonalization and like you're watching life through a TV screen, kind of right, and you don't really connect to anything. Yeah, it, it's like desire impersonally so personal. Yes, like it, it. Everyone feels this way. This is such a ubiquitous feeling with this kind of song, but. Now, every, everyone's got some kind of fucking story, yeah, regardless well, no of age. No wonder it connected to such a big audience. Right. It's a it's a song that really speaks to that snowflake mentality of, like, I am... Snowflake in the sense of, like, I am very unique. Yeah. But, like, yeah. literally every teenager goes through this right. moment yeah. where, man, maybe they are thinking about me, too. Like, no, might, might be they also kind of just lull into a country accent all of a sudden. God, dude. I don't like Mike anymore. Right, what did I so, uh, well, we talked a lot about the song, but the music video is also a music video uh, from the 90s. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> it's something. It's all right. It's, it's fine. All right. It's, uh, anyways, I'm going to change the channel. We're going to roll some, some shit here. So. We're getting very, very sleepy, uh-huh. Now step out of it! It's them and old baby spicy Slim Jim, oh yeah! All right, what do we got coming up next week on deck, Mike? Uh, on the next episode, go ahead and roll. The movie is going to be Almost Heroes, starring uh, Chris Farley and yeah yeah you remember that that movie matthew perry hell yeah the tv show we are going to be watching an episode of kids in the hall 
Nice. You ever seen Kids in the Hall? I don't think I've ever seen that. It's an early 90s Canadian uh, sketch comedy show. Yeah, I live it. in Canada. Or they brought it back with the uh, original cast yeah, on Amazon. Yeah. Amazon, yeah. yeah. Hmm. All right. And the music video finally is going to be The Primitive Radio God Standing Outside a Broken Telephone Booth with Money in My Pocket. Okay. I don't. It's a. It's a Great song. You'll know it the second you hear it. You'll know okay, it. okay, it's okay, a okay. Fucking, it's one of the probably one of the best songs of the night. Yeah, I'm bad with fucking titles. That's all right. Yeah, especially but, that title. Okay. Well, all this right. will be a lot of new stuff for me. I've never really. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. I've, I've, I'm excited to revisit Almost Heroes. Yeah. If you enjoyed the '90s Roulette podcast, be sure to check us out on Patreon.com/slash '90s Roulette Podcast. Yeah, you're definitely gonna want to check that shit out. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. it's some high class shit. Fuck. I'm just saying. Honestly, want... the regular episodes are dog shit and all the good stuff. Don't even listen to these. We're not putting these. any effort in. So you can become a supporter for us. Make sure we got plenty of Mountain Dew and fruit roll ups for each of our episodes. And also, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe uh, on whichever platform you're listening to us on. It really helps us out a lot with the algorithm gods. And thanks for listening to this episode, and we'll see you next time. See ya. See ya.